of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Christine Steimer. Oh my God, that's me. It is you. And Brittany Brombacher is here too. Hello, Gavin All. Working on that that accent that I'm definitely not going to use in London next Oy week. Because everyone will... You, why? You don't want all the uh, the Londoners to give you a hard time for your really terrible American-British accent? I mean, they do that already, but I think it would be worse <laughs> in person. I can't wait for them all to like somehow prank you and like make you think that something is something that they do there a lot, and you'll be like, oh, okay, and then you'll do the thing, but you, nobody really does it. Okay. I'm trying to think like what one of those <laughs> things would be. I don't know either, because I am not experienced... <laughs> In the ways of the UK. So it sounds like you might fall for it, too. Not just me. Oh, hell no. I never listen to anybody. I don't do I don't do that shit. I don't listen to anybody. I don't do that shit. That's a quote for the books. Put it on a t-shirt. Well, we're so glad that you guys are here, ladies and gentlemen, whether it's episode one for you or episode 105. We're glad that you are listening to What's Good Games. If you want to support everything we do here, patreon.com slash what's good games is the place to do it. We've got awesome Patreon producers for this month, Lincoln Davis, Alex Rogopoulos, Ferris Tate, and Muhammad Muhammad. And before we get to our brand new patrons for the week, because we had quite a few of you since we did the anniversary stream. Oh yes, boy. that's right. It was our second birthday. We threw ourselves a little party. We even ate cake. Can I just wonderful. talk about that cake for a minute? I've told everyone sure. that I know how that was the best cake I've ever had in my entire life. It was just that good. It was so perfectly moist. And I hate that word, but it's so applicable to this food item that we consumed. And oh, my God, everything about it was perfect. I think it screwed me up a little bit. I think my stomach was a little upset the next day. I'm not used to having such amazingness, but it was so worth it. What was it? Susie's cake? Yes, it's Susie Cakes. It was celebration cake. Oh, my God. That's like the new part. Susie Cakes is a Bay Area bakery. It's also in L.A. Oh, they are? Are they yeah. just like West Coast? I think it's just California. Okay. Well, if you Google Susie Cakes and you find them near you, mm. you are in for a treat, quite mm. literally. Mm-hmm. They are delicious and they have like cookies and cupcakes and all kinds of oh. stuff. But we had a fantastic time. If you guys missed the stream, you can check out the archives at twitch.tv slash what's good games or at youtube.com slash what's good games. We also put up our compilation, our best of two years video. Again, thank you to Pixel Bright for editing that for us. And we also unveiled our pride shirt for the month of June, of course, is LGBTQ pride. And we have two designs that you guys can choose from in a variety of styles. 
So something, if you guys are interested in, head to whatsgoodgames.com slash store and check them out. And hopefully if you order them soon, you should be able to get them in time for Pride in June. And we are going to be running a little promotion, I believe, at the end of the month or next week. Check our Twitter, what's good underscore games, for details on that. And as a reminder... Since it got brought up during the stream, only specific styles and colors are available to ship internationally. So if you click on one and it says it's not available to ship to you, it might be worth your time to try clicking on a couple other styles. Um, it's quite irregular which styles and colors are available in which countries. So I wish we had like a blanket like this style is available in your country. But unfortunately, that's just not the way that Teespring works. But hopefully you can find something that ships to your part of the world. And we we also posted April's secret segment. You may be thinking, hey, Andrea, what <laughs> month was is over it? about three weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we just plum forgot to post it. We recorded it and it just kind of sat around and uh, didn't get posted. So that's our bad. And I'm going to make sure that we don't do that again. But thank you for your patience, patrons. We appreciate that none of you, not a single one of you, complained about it. <laughs> yeah, it's a collective effort. We can't hold just one person responsible. We all should have remembered. Also, patrons, call us out on our bullshit. If we forget something, <laughs> let us know. Because there have been times we've forgotten vlogs, videos, things. Oh, and no one I don't says think I did one this one. No. No, you didn't. Nope. I think There's you, still time. Yeah. The month's not over yet. That's very That's true. true. The May is still okay. All right. Yep. Yeah. You're good. You're covered. Everyone's so nice. They don't say anything. But call us out. Hold this accountable. It's true. I was a little busy with other shit. <laughs> Life happens. Shit, yes. shit was happening. Um, so this month's secret segment, or excuse me, not this month, because we're shooting May's next week, but April's was all about spring cleaning because we did a poll. It's another one of those Patreon exclusive um, cool things that you get if you are at any membership level of our Patreon. And we decided after we saw the results of the poll, that we were going to talk about spring cleaning. Which video games have to go? So while we were recording this segment, we sussed out what exactly that topic meant, and we settled on if we had to take games off of our pile of shame that we're just like, listen, we think we're going to get to this. We're just not going to get to this. We just got to like kick it to the curb. That's what we discussed. So if you're interested in hearing us talk about which games, we're like, you know what? This sounded really cool. But I ain't got time, bro. You can check out that segment. And again, it will go live in 30 days for everybody. And we will be giving a shout out to our mythic patrons from their mem mythic membership and above uh, later on in the show. Brittany, did I forget anything? I feel like we did a lot of housekeeping. <laughs> oh, my God. We're going to be in London. Yes, that's really important. It's We're really going there next week. We are. Oh my god, that's next week. Holy crap! So yeah, Sunday, May twenty sixth at the Marquis of Westminster from three to six. I don't know if people across the pond use the three to six p.m.s or if they use the fifteen to nine. No, what is it? Fifteen to eighteen. Fifteen to eighteen. There we go. I'm trying not to be so ignorant. Uh, yeah. So we're going to be there for a few hours. We're going to be in the private bar area, and it looks yeah, really so cute. It's fifty Warwick Way. Pimlico is the, I believe, the exact address, but we'll have the directions and stuff up on our Facebook page, of course, facebook.com slash what's good games. Um, they, I believe the private bar is downstairs, but don't, 
Don't quote me on that, but we did hire out the private bar, so we have a dedicated space for everyone to come and hang out, and we're very excited about it, and we hope we see you guys there. Ah, There's an event page on the Facebooks. I don't know if you said that already, but there is one. Yes. With all of the details. Yeah. Yeah. See us and teach us how to talk like Brits. (laughs) I feel like there's a Um, joke there for me to make. There is. There's definitely a Brit Brit joke. We'll have to think of something before we arrive. Um, in in the UK. All right, so a big shout out and welcome to our Patreon community too. Kristen Canton, Adrian Wheeler, Mikey Phillips, Bo Hoffman, Randall Savage, Terry Reed, Sean Bailey, Casey Perkins, Marco Antaveros, Mr. Bo Jangles, <laughs> Jonathan Cardwell, Jack Lay, Thomas Helgerman, Lawrence Wooding, Yes Kig, Anthony Norwood, and Priscilla McNeely. Welcome to patreon.com slash games. We're so excited that you're a part of our awesome crew. You could get your name shouted out if you would like to join. And now, let's talk about some news, shall we? And this week's news segment is brought to you by Stitch Fix. Describe your look in one word. Is it casual? Is it sophisticated? Maybe it's playful. However you dress, Stitch Fix has the expert personal stylist that can help you look your best. Personal style is like a fingerprint. Everyone has their own. Whatever your style, the expert stylists at Stitch Fix are ready to help you express yourself. Not all clothes are a fit for all men or women. With Stitch Fix, your personal stylist will send you clothing that makes you look your best. Less one size fits all and more this fits your style. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that delivers your favorite clothing brands right to your door. If you guys want to get started, you go to stitchfix.com slash what's good and answer some questions about your preferred style and your personal shopper will ship you a box of clothes, shoes, and accessories. And there's no commitment required. You only pay for what you keep. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. Plus, that $20 styling fee is automatically applied towards anything you keep from your box. You'll never have to think about looking good again with Stitch Fix. Again, to get started today head to stitchfix.com slash what's good to get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box that's stitchfix.com slash what's good stitchfix.com slash what's good ah uh, yeah i Let's just got a new shirt real in my last box and i'm very excited about it dude i'm obsessed i just got a new box in yesterday and this is actually one of the comfy things that i got it's like some really faded patterned thing but i'm like oh it's a comfy long-sleeved thing and living in washington i need a lot of those that so looks I like a faded it. leopard print from here yeah it, it's actually the snow leopard growl that you do the leopard growl oh. i skinned it Ooh. and now i'm wearing it on it's my really body cute nice yeah girl i know that the the kids watching it on our youtube page can't see the whole thing because of the way i have your photo cropped in obs but it looks really comfortable it's there so you go now we can see your arms yeah <laughs> got my arms <laughs> all right well we could talk about fashion all show long but we actually have some stories to talk about so oh boy the first story we're going to talk about is a weird sony one? to partner with microsoft dun, dun, dun. so i wrote this headline it actually was announced earlier today and because we're recording the show on thursday which is a rarity for us because i was in in la for judges week uh, this is straight from the microsoft press release 
Sony Corporation and Microsoft Corporation announced on Thursday that the two companies will partner on new innovations to enhance customer experiences in the direct-to-consumer entertainment platforms and AI solutions. Under the Memorandum of Understanding signed by the party, the two companies will explore joint development of future cloud solutions in Microsoft Azure to support their respective game and content streaming services. In addition, the two companies will explore the use of Microsoft Azure data center-based solutions for Sony's game and content streaming services. By working together. The companies aim to deliver more enhanced entertainment experiences for their worldwide customers. These efforts will also include building better development platforms for the content creator community. Kenichiro Yoshida, the president and CEO of Sony, said... PlayStation itself came about through the integration of creativity and technology. Our mission is to seamlessly evolve this platform as one continues to deliver the best and most immersive entertainment experiences, together with a cloud environment that ensures the best possible experiences anytime, anywhere. For many years, Microsoft has been a key business partner for us, though, of course, the two companies have also been competing in some areas. I believe that our joint development of future cloud solutions will contribute greatly to the advancement of interactive content. And... Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, said, Sony has always been a leader in both entertainment and technology, and the collaboration we announced today builds on this history of innovation. Our partnership brings the power of Azure and Azure AI to Sony to deliver new gaming and entertainment experiences for customers. I left out quite a bit about what they're doing with the AI technology because I didn't think it was super relevant to what we're talking about today. Um, But of course, if you're interested, Microsoft.com has the full statement. So... Did they what say anything mean? about, like, what happened? What about Gaikai? Um, Gaikai kind of dissolved as a brand when Sony bought them. No, I know. But, like, you had people. To, like, this. I'm, I guess my point that I'm trying to make is, like, it's not like they Sony had no one doing this before. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm wondering as to why they thought it wasn't enough. Is this well, your, I, like, that much better? I think the difference, one of the key differences, and I'm this is just me guessing here. I would need to do some follow up research to make sure that I have Gaikai's tech correct. Because quite frankly, I haven't got we haven't gotten an update, like a public update from Sony about what how they've advanced that tech since they acquired Gaikai, which was several years ago at this point. But I believe that they were just working on compression technology, whereas like Azure is like a combination of compression technology with the cloud-based options where they have data centers all over the world, where Gaikai did not. not well, and if they did, it certainly wasn't to the extent that Microsoft did. So I'll do like a little search and see if I can find any specifics. But that would be my guess as to why. I mean, they Gaikai would want to was with a cloud gaming service, though. Right, but it wasn't. It wasn't built out the way that Azure is built out. You know what I mean? Like it was never. It was, it was not like worldwide. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so I read this, and admittedly, I had to read it like three times because I didn't understand any of it. I'm like, what does this even mean? What does all this PR fluff talk mean? I want specifics. So I was scouring the internet for people's theories on what this partnership could mean and what led to it. And one of the things I found on Kotaku was this. In other words, it's entirely possible that PlayStation 5 might feature cloud gaming powered by Microsoft Azure. And beyond that, Sony and Microsoft might pool their resources to create a customized streaming solution that would be used by both Xbox and PlayStation. That would be bonkers. That would be bananas. It also feels more like them renting out the server farm space, much like Amazon Web Services does for several major streaming platforms like Netflix, for example, instead of them technically working together. Because I think 
Microsoft needs to fund these server farms. And so if it means that they're going to be licensing that service or that technology or really just the straight-up hardware of the server farms themselves, that it would be a good way for them to help either offset the cost that it was to build them or mm-hmm. to help them expand into even more markets than they're currently in. Yeah. My sort of takeaway is that Microsoft has a thing that is built very well and can really help Sony down the long term with their online goal, with online goals and cloud and blah, blah, blah kind of stuff. So it only makes sense to use a thing that's already built. But even because it is Microsoft, maybe they need to do a press release about it because, hey, we're friends now. Of course, we're competing in certain areas, but this is a thing. I wouldn't really know if I'd call them friends, but it's like, hey, we're cooperating in this joint thing together because Microsoft has it. We may as well just use I mean, it. They also, yeah, again, PlayStation also does have it. And I, I guess and here it's like they'll do joint development. So I guess maybe the formerly known as Gaikai team might be working with Azure and like they'll hopefully make something bomb that like both platforms can use. So yeah. to be clear, the Gaikai team became the PlayStation Now team right. within within Sony. And I think it goes without saying that PlayStation Now streaming services specifically, not the download portion of PlayStation Now, but the streaming still is not completely optimized across the board for most of its users that for the people that I've talked to that use the streaming services, they have consistent issues with streaming quality. Makes sense. So, I mean, obviously, you know, Sony acquired them back in 2012. Technology has moved quite a bit since then. If we look at where we're at today in 2019, when it comes to cloud, to cloud services specifically. So, I'm not surprised that they needed to outsource their cloud gaming if they were going to be going down that route for next gen. When I say they, I mean Sony. Yeah. It just is, I think, an odd headline to see Sony and Microsoft as corporations. But I think as gamers, we so easily forget that both Microsoft and Sony are these gigantic global corporations of which gaming is just one part of their business. Right. There's this quote here anyway from... um, oh. Kinichiro Yoshida says, for many years, Microsoft has been a key business partner for us, though most of, though, wait, through, oh, wait, I can't read it. Oh, though, because I have my monitor so far away, because I had to move it away from my camera. So this is like a little behind, this is how the sausage is getting made. My camera was too zoomed in on youtube.com slash what's good game. So I had to move my monitor way back because my camera's on it. And now I can't fucking read. Okay, for many years, Microsoft has been a key business partner for us, though, of course, the two companies have been competing in some areas. I believe our joint development of future cloud solutions will contribute greatly to the advancement of interactive content. Um, and another theory that I saw going around too is that they might be tinkling their panties a little bit over Stadia and they're like hey we should probably combine forces and form the dream team for this online shenanigans yeah yeah honestly if that if that was their strategy it's super smart because with their stables of software they would crush Google even if Google had a better tech, which I think we could all hypothesize that they're going to because it's Google and that's what they specialize in, um, they don't have any software that they've announced. So, hey, yeah. don't mm-hmm. know what you're going to play on Stadia. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's cool. I read the headline it's and I was like, the first what? time that they've, well, technically they didn't partner, but obviously Microsoft ended up having to license Blu-ray from Sony. Because they lost that war. <laughs> it's true. I was rooting for HD DVD, man. It just sounded better. I was like, what the heck is Blu-ray anyway? I remember when that battle first started, and I was like, Blu-ray is never going to win. 
And then, man, that was not true. What, what even yeah. is a Blu-ray? <laughs> it's the proprietary technology for printing the data onto that special type of disc. They use a Blu-ray, thus the name Blu-ray. Is that? I, I don't I, know if it's actually blue. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, why would they? No, I'm just curious. Like HD, okay, like that makes sense. But what what the hell is a Blu-ray? Like, is it? It's fancy. That was the question. That was the question right? I had. The exact definition is the for, format of DVD designed for the storage of high definition video and data. Oh. There you go. I, I, maybe they were just listening to the "I'm Blue" song a lot. <laughs> And they were inspired. I wish that would be the best reason ever. <laughs> but yeah, this is yeah. like I said, this is cool, interesting. It's you know, I think it's smart. I think you know, cloud yes, it gaming. is a blue laser. By the way, oh, okay. you were correct, Brittany. Ooh. It is a blue laser. It's that a blue laser the disc. Ah, nice. that's very anticlimactic. I like Simer's theory much, much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I actually I know that you didn't put the AI stuff in here, but actually, I am pretty curious to see if they would be developing game ai together at all Hmm. uh i obviously didn't read that part so i have no idea but it'd be cool yeah um i thought this was interesting the format's name comes from the fact that the blue laser leads reads and writes to the disc rather than the red laser of dvd players the blue laser has a 405 nanometer wavelength that can focus more tightly than the red lasers used for writable dvd as a consequence a blu-ray disc can store much more data in the same 12 centimeter space like a writable dvd format blu-ray uses phase change technology to enable repeated writing to the disc today i learned there you go don't say we never taught you anything (laughs) um well we'll see if we're gonna hear anything about what microsoft plans to do with azure at e3 undoubtedly we will hear some of their next gen plans or at least the fact that they have next gen plans um i'm certainly one of my most anticipated press conferences of the show they never fail to put on a fantastic showcase and this year i think a lot is on the table to be revealed but the next story we have is the epic mega sale. Brittany, you want to read this one? I would love to. Let me pull up the document because, you know, Discord takes up my whole window and now I have to find the thing. Oh, my God. Where is my document? Okay. Do you want How me to about take this? it for I'll right now? I'll read this one okay, and then yeah. you can read the Nintendo No, we, we've solved just enough that I'm here, but that sounds good, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. After accidentally announcing it in a Fortnite pop-up, the Epic Game Store first major sale is here, and it's an epic mega one. Every game at the storefront priced over $14.99 will be $10 off, with some titles discounted even more. Plus, Epic is doubling down on its free game strategy with new free title every week during the sale, which runs through June 13th. An FAQ section which anticipates many of the common complaints that pop up during the big sales event, like, what if I pre-ordered before the sale started? And, aw, man, I just bought that game, and now it's on sale. Most retailers will refund the difference if pre-orders are discounted between purchase and launch, but Epic is also refunding the price difference to customers who bought a game at its storefront between May 2nd and May 15th. The six-month-old Epic Game Store has been making waves in the PC gaming space, snapping up exclusives and causing some controversy along the way. The fact that this sale comes a few weeks before steam's annual summer sale <laughs> is another shot across the bow of valve <laughs> um so this write-up of course comes from polygon they put together a little list of some of the 
what they dub to be the best deals. Um, and some of the big ones are Metro Exodus is on sale for $34.99. Vampire is $39.99. The Witness is just $9.99. Uh, Britney's new bow, My Time at Porsche, is just $13.99. Oh, boy. That's um, the cheapest crack you'll ever buy in your life, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. You can pre-order Borderlands 3 for $49.99, which is pretty amazing. Um, you can get uh, the pre-order for John Wick Hex, which is from Mike Bethel, for $7.99. And um, World War Z, which is recently released, is also $19.99. This is pretty... Pretty awesome for people who are excited about the Epic Game Store. And what's cool is that Epic is subsidizing that $10 off the 14 And so this isn't a cost coming at developers. So there's an example that I pulled from another website. So Supergiant, Supergiant Games Early Access Roguelike Hades, Hades, I'm sorry, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hades. 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 Yep. Update. Is on sale for $16.99, down from $19.99, but an additional $10 from Epic makes that $6.99 provided, quote, at no cost to the develop to, to the publisher or developer, which is awesome. It's a that it's a good awesome. it's a good look. Good job. Epic, you're doing all the right things. People still hate you. But dude, you see that quote, that tweet from um Terraria's the did you okay, no? No, I didn't see it. What no? did it say? Okay. Tell me about it. I'm gonna find it. Tell me about the tweets. What I have the tweet said about it. I gotta find it. Hold on. She basically said, because, okay, so, you know, Epic Games is, is are they sponsoring the PC gaming show for, at E3, correct? And so Terraria is going to be there. And so people were worried that they are going to announce that they're going to be a part of an Epic Games store exclusive. And she said, essentially, you can't, we'll never sell our souls for any price amount or something like that. Like, it was something, like, pretty shady. Hmm. Okay. Oh, here we go. I found Wait. it. All right, here we go. The vice president of ReLogic, sorry, the studio that gave us the immensely popular sandbox action Terraria. And so what she said, I don't like it when people, please just give us like the tweet. Why do you have to try? Oh, here we go. Since there seems to be some confusion, this is from Whitney Spinks. No, ReLogic title, no ReLogic title will ever be an Epic Store exclusive. There is no amount of money we could be offered to sell our souls. Wow. Yeah. Kind of a weird thing to say. But right. All right. Why? Why such a hard stance against a major publisher and engine maker? Um, that seems like hostile. But not for no only reason. that, like it. It also is odd to be that dramatic, seeming, seemingly <laughs> hostile toward a company that is clearly trying to do right by developers, as opposed to doing right. But I mean, obviously they're doing right by the customer as well, but kind of at like a cost to themselves. Um, right. as opposed to a cost to the devs, which is not normal. And like those steam sales, they, they ain't doing this. Like you're just, they're not making the developers not making as much money when you buy it on sale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was That's a true. very, uh, um, over, over the top dramatic way of, of putting it, but you know, I mean, sell our souls, like, come on. Like, most of these games that are Epic Games cl- exclusive anyway are just on a timed basis. And it's not like they're selling their souls away. If anything, they're getting, like, an extra soul on top of the soul they already have because they're getting more money. Extra life. It, extra life. You're getting an extra one-up. This, the thing that I just keep coming back to, and I and I actually tried to have a civil conversation with someone on Reddit about this, and I appreciated that he kept it civil because uh, he was like, you know, I don't, I don't like that, you know, you are going after people who are mad about these Epic Game Store exclusives. 
And um, so I was like, well, explain to me, like, why you're so upset about it. So, like, let me let me hear the the, the logic behind like wh- where your anger is coming from, uh, because from my standpoint, the idea that people are upset that Epic is getting exclusives, but they didn't get their panties in a twist when Nintendo had an exclusive, when Microsoft had an exclusive, when Sony had an exclusive, or when Valve had an exclusive, like, just does not make sense to me. And so I don't understand why now. Like a developer like this would come forward and be like, it's selling your soul to make an exclusive deal with a platform when almost every publisher has done it at least once at some point in their publishing career. Like it's just, yeah. it's like, it's mind boggling to me. I don't understand like where this anger is coming from. Um, so yeah, I, it's, it's also something I've thought about. And I think as primarily console gamers, you know, we're used to the exclusive. If you want to play God of War game, you're just going to have to get that on a PlayStation. If you want to play a Mario game, well, you need, you know, a Nintendo console. You want to play Halo, get an Xbox. And that's just the way it's been. I think PC gamers haven't really had that issue, right? Most everything comes to PC in one shape or another. But now that, well, I guess... Not even comes to Steam. Thank you. you, Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. Because I'm like about to contradict myself. Yeah, it comes to Steam, right? And but Mm -hmm. now that something is not coming to Steam, it's like, what do you mean? The best, the thing is, is that you don't have to buy another console. You just have to literally download another Mm -hmm. launcher, right? You need to download another client on your PC, right? And so I, I mean, yeah. I, I guess that's why, maybe for me personally, it's hard to really understand the anger behind it. Besides the fact that I, I know there aren't features, the shopping cart thing's an issue. There are other forums and other shenanigans that I'm not even pretend like I wouldn't totally understand. But what I do understand is that it's just another browser, and all you have to do a launcher, and you just download it and you play it. And to me, I don't understand what the big deal is because that's kind of how it's always been for us as console gamers. But we have to buy consoles. You know? Right. So let me read from this um, this Reddit message, and I'm going to leave it anonymous since um, you know I don't want to put anybody on blast. So um, what this person wrote says, I understand at first glance it's the it's just another launcher take on the situation. Seems true, and it's easy to dismiss the concerns of people you may see being really shitty on Twitter about it. I feel like you maybe are intending to throw shade at those people, but end up catching a lot of the other people who aren't being shitty in your net inadvertently when you make comments like those. I don't need to convince you that Epic is evil or anything, but I'd like you to consider that there are a lot of reasonable people who don't want to support what they're doing for various reasons. It's not really about having to download another launcher, at least to me. Epic has focused entirely on using exclusives they buy to get people to come to their store. Yes, of course. Yeah, it's been clear in their strategy, but right, it's been clear in their actions, but also the words of Tim Sweeney. He said that they can't make a store that is better for customers than Steam, so they're trying to make gamers go where the games are. I don't necessarily think he's wrong about that, but my issue is they don't seem to be even trying to provide customers with a similar experience to what they enjoy on Steam. And that's where I kind of went back and forth with them because I'm like, dude, it's brand new. Steam also was not great when it launched. Right, like it, it took several years for Steam to build the amazing feature set that they have today. That shit wasn't built in a day, right? Right, like, and, and so I'm pretty I sure under- you can't use Unreal Engine to build a client a store. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like, that's a whole other feat of engineering that you need to do. Yeah. So, like, I absolutely understand people's desire to want to put their dollars to support the companies that they want to support. And that's fine. So, instead of being upset about it and being like, I don't want to support this company, you could just not support them. And then let other people enjoy the thing that they're enjoying. 
I don't know what to tell you here. Also, I find it like the way that it was phrased made it sound like Epic was doing some shady shit. And I'm like, I feel like nothing that they've done is shady so far. They yeah, built I think a new pretty store. Transparent about it. Yeah, I'd be Maybe curious. It's not to know. great yet, but it's going to improve. Obviously, Epic's not going to just leave it the way it is forever and never improve on it. They needed to get some way to get there. Obviously, exclusives is a way to do that. Check the box. Great. Um, and not only that, they're very industry healthy, as I guess what I would call them. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to have them say that in those in those reasons. If it was like, I feel like Epic is stealing my information and like putting it on weird black market sites. I'd be like, OK, yeah, that's fucked up. They shouldn't mm-hmm. do that. Um, but they're not doing that. But they're not doing that. So I guess my disconnect is that and feeling like. You, I guess he's trying to say Epic has delivered me a subpar product and I don't want to use it. And it's like, okay, well, again, like you just said, Andrea, just launched. So give it a minute. And then if you don't want to give it a minute, that's fine. But like there's other places also to play these games. It's just not on your PC. Hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'd be curious to know what those reasons were. Like what, what various reasons do you not like we were just saying? I, I don't know. I mean, I get it. We Steam, never Steam has been around for a long time. Steam has added a whole bunch of new shit. They have, you know, all of, like the fun, fancy. They have Chivos. They have like the cars. They have like, there's a lot of little things that Steam has added over the years that make it, oh my God, my computer keeps trying to fall asleep. And I'm like, gah, stay awake. What Give are you doing? Caffeine. <laughs> like the screensaver pops computer. up like every five minutes. I'm like, no. <laughs> so I get what you're saying. You know, it's hard to go from something that's like shiny and pretty and super well run and efficient to something that doesn't have all these awesome features that you're accustomed Correct. to. Yeah. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles that you have grown accustomed to. Right. It's like trying to play multiplayer on Nintendo Switch after playing it on Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's just like, what the heck, man? Why do I have to have an app to talk to people? Why can't I just do it from the, oh, God. the hardware? I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about this very <laughs> soon. But I have I don't understand that anyway. Speaking of Nintendo, Brittany, take us into the next story. Okay. This is a good story. This is a happy story. The next story, I'm going to roll my eyes a lot. But this is all about Super Mario Maker 2. And let me pull up the document. There it is. Okay. All right. Super Mario Maker 2 has a story mode and much more. This comes from Kotaku. The sequel to Super Mario Maker will have a story mode unlike its predecessor. Nintendo said today in a... Well, this was Tuesday or Wednesday. This was Wednesday. In a Nintendo Direct dedicated to the game. In said story mode, you'll get to rebuild Princess Peach's destroyed castle by playing through courses to earn coins for the reconstruction effort. Plus... Lots, lots more. Over the course of a 15-minute video for Super Mario Maker 2, which is out June 28th for Switch, Nintendo detailed a ton of new features that will be added to the Mario level builder, including clear conditions, quote, win by collecting 50 coins, quote, and cooperative building with a second player. Also, slopes, on-off switches, seesaws, angry suns, and even mechanics that have never been in a Mario game before, like swinging claws and a dry bones shell that lets you glide in lava and hide as a pile of bones. And a car. What? You can also auto scroll auto add auto scroll to your levels, swap themes, insert moving water or, lo- or lava, and much much more. Also, Nintendo today announced that the Super Mario 3D World mode, which is two dimensional but allows for features that the other games level won't support, like teleporting glass pipes and cat suits. There's also a night mode and four player multiplayer that you can play both competitively and cooperatively. So wow, did you ladies watch the direct at all? No. Did not have a chance. Okay. I was uh, busy, unfortunately. That's totally fine. I watched it 
earlier today, and holy crap, there is a lot, a lot of features in that game. I absolutely, <laughs> I mean, I'm watching, I'm like, holy crap, I feel like this has everything and anything you would ever need in your entire life if you want to make a Mario game. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm being a little dramatic, but there's a lot of features into it. And I never quite realized how many tools are there for people who want to create all of these Mario games. It's insane. It's not something I particularly have interest in. I don't want to create. I just want to play the games. So what's cool is the multiplayer mode. You can now create levels with a friend. So, you know, if Simon and I want to create an awful level where everyone can't help but die, you know, she and I would just like work on something together and probably put like spikes everywhere and make absolutely no way for someone to win. Because that's that the right. There has to be a way to win. By death. That's the only escape. Oh, my God. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> But other than that, business. (laughs) So they also have the multiplayer co-op and this is called network play. So it sounds like there's no wait. So, okay. First of all, I'm interested in this game for a few reasons. The multiplayer is one. This is called the network play. So up to four players can play in a variety of modes. They have the cooperative levels you can do together. And there's also versus play where, you know, you have to complete a certain goal and you compete against four people around the world, or you can play with people that are, near you so you know let's say all three of us are in a room and i could start a room a party and then we could all play together but we all have to have our separate switches it looks like there's no local way to play this game other than creating levels together that sounds mm. right which, yeah. Yeah, which i mean sense. you know you want your screen on your switch like you, how are the hell are they going to split screen that but um yeah, I think the world's it just, tiniest little split screen. Tiniest little split screen. But yeah, I'm excited to try the online multiplayer levels um, with other people. Maybe, maybe you ladies, if you don't yell at me, like you tend to yell at each other when you oh play games. Oh my god! No, we cannot <laughs> guarantee any of that. Oh god, no thanks. But that's yeah. That that's I think what I'm not interested in creating, like I'm saying. But um, I like Mario games and I like playing them, and I think they're fun with a friend. And so the fact that you can play these fan created levels with other people is really attractive to me it sounds like every person does need their own copy and you do need a nintendo online subscription service and you need a switch obviously but obviously obviously but that's like been typical for a while now for people who want to play online games together but i think people are just taking a little back because it's nintendo doing this and everyone's used to nintendo and their couch co-op and their local co-op and all that kind of stuff but you know they're kind of getting with the times start times they are a changing and there are 100 Nintendo-made levels as part of the story mode that they were saying. It looks like that is also a single-player experience. But that also looks, looks fun. Be a little Nintendo experience. A little Mario experience. Really? I never really got Beach's into Castle. the original Mario Maker, but I would probably try this on my Switch since I can bring it on the go and um, have it look a little bit nicer than it did on 3DS, though. The 3DS version wasn't bad. I didn't play it at all. It wasn't my thing. Yeah, I'm not really, if it's something's mostly focused on creating levels, it's just not usually what I'm going to do. Like, even with Dreams, I'm going to play the tiny-ass campaign and then never touch it again. Um, because it's just, I I don't I don't have the energy for that. It, it requires a lot of thought. And, I want to yeah. sit on my ass. I want to sit do, on my couch and do nothing. <laughs> and think about nothing. Just exist in yeah, peace and quiet. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think this is cool. Will I ever actually play it? I don't know. I just want to play the levels. We'll see. You know what I'm looking forward to? There was, oh, fuck, I forget who it was, but Patrick Klepek and someone else had some really epic Mario Maker battles, like, between them, like, trying to make the hardest level and then the other person have to beat it. So I'm looking forward to watching Ooh, those yeah. again on Twitter. Like, those were very entertaining. Those are ruthless. Yeah. So that'll be very, that'll be great. 
That'd be great. All right. Um, does someone else want to read the next story so I can just roll my eyes? Yes. The whole time? Steimer, yes. you're up. Okay, so Nintendo offers, quote, game vouchers to Switch online members. This is via Polygon. The latest Nintendo Switch online perk is an eShop discount, but there's a twist because, of course, of course there, there is. is. <laughs> Rather than simply offering an exclusive discount on digital games, Nintendo will give Switch online users the opportunity to purchase a pair of game vouchers for $99.99 USD. When redeemed at the eShop for two... Wait, yes. When redeemed at the eShop for two full-price Switch games, members may get a discount of up to $19.99. The vouchers are only applicable to a small selection of titles, mainly essential first-party title games like Super Mario Odyssey, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and the upcoming Super Mario Maker 2, Astral Chain, Fire Emblem Three Houses, and Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order, will all be eligible when they become available uh, for pre-order in the eShop. Note that not all the included games cost the full $59.99, so unless you've really been jonesing for some fitness boxing or sushi striking, it's a good idea to pick up one of the $49.99 games another time so you can take advantage of the full discount. Wow, what a really confusing way to offer a discount to your Switch Online members. I, I, yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, again, Nintendo just sees, like, the wheel, and they're like, let's reinvent this. It doesn't, it's not round enough, it's not smooth enough, let's add some fucking jet, like, little, let's take out chunks of it, let's make it a fucking square and see how it rolls down the hill. And I just, okay, so, this, this offer is effective until July 31st, and I think I understand the business reason behind this, because these vouchers are good for up to a year, and Nintendo has not announced what games this will encompass. What will encompass Pokemon Sword and Shield? Probably. So, if you have a Nintendo online subscription already, you can buy these vouchers, and you can hold on to them in the hopes that within the next year, you can use them and save yourself 10 bucks per title. I think that's kind of what they're saying. They're like, hey, buy these now. It's a limited time offer, and then you can hold on to it. But but it just why can't you just offer a normal discount? Not only that, like not all the games that are available are sixty dollars. Some of them right, are sixty dollars. So some, some of this is a it's a bad deal for some it's of this. It's a bad deal. And it's not it is a bad deal. And it's not this this, is <sighs> bewildering. Sorry, go ahead, Brittany. No, and not, like I said, girl. You need a <laughs> Nintendo online subscription to even take advantage of this offer which is twenty dollars in itself if you pay for the annual subscription and so i mean is this like nintendo just trying to say like hey we're gonna try this voucher thing maybe it'll work maybe we'll get an influx of people who buy these vouchers and then they can say oh i'm gonna hold on to it for maybe pokemon sword and shield but they haven't even announced no because i mean it's a bad deal all around because you you don't know if the voucher will be good for pokemon sword and shield you don't that's true you but also, the gr- the funniest thing to me is that they have these forty nine ninety nine games in here at all. Because if you were maybe stupid and not great at math, you could potentially fuck yourself over and pay an extra penny. Because if you buy two forty nine ninety nine games, that would become ninety nine dollars and ninety eight cents somehow. <sighs> Fucking math. I don't know. I just did it twice on my calculator because I was like, that can't be right. But and <laughs> and so like, what the what. Why? Why would I mean, you even do that? These games need to be discounted anyway. Breath of the Wild is due for a discount. Why is that game still $60? Why is I Mario mean, Kart 8 still $60? God of War is now $40. Horizon Zero Dawn, which came out like what this around the time of Breath of the Wild is now like 20 bucks. Like, come on. 
It's not fine. Yeah, game publishers could... are good at updating prices after the fact. A lot of them are just like set it and forget it. And they don't really think about discounting unless it's a sale. And Nintendo traditionally doesn't discount their games like really at all. Um, as far as I've seen, it's usually up to the individual retailers. But if you're paying full price for The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, you're screwing up. You can definitely get that at a discount somewhere on the internet without buying it direct from the Nintendo eShop. Yeah, this is this is a def- another Nintendo head scratcher. It's like, like a... Like, what the heck? I know! I What's know. I also on? feel bad for, like, if... Like, this is only really going to be applicable to people like us or, like, the, the more hardcore people who can figure this out and understand it. Like, yeah. poor mom and dad who, if so their confusing. kid is like, I think you can get a discount, they'll be like, what the shit is this? How do I? <laughs> what is this? What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, yeah. It, you know, I love those bastards at Nintendo so much. I think they make amazing, wonderful things. But, you know, I, I don't know. Just these things, these little, like, it was like you said, the online, the online shenanigans here. Download our app and then maybe, maybe you can use the online functionality. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't understand it. It's just Nintendo gonna Nintendo. Yeah. Speaking of which, oh Nintendo, boy! But on a positive more, note, yeah. I, I mean, yes, and I'm gonna be my traditional negative Nancy about it because <laughs> I feel like doing it today. I'm also like very, like very sleepy, and I'm channeling some Steimer because I got to spend Whoa. a glorious amount of time with her this week. Um, so <laughs> Nintendo Switch surpasses PS4 lifetime sales in japan and this is via GameSpot. so the nintendo switch has now surpassed the lifetime sales of sony's playstation 4 in japan new numbers from famitsu show that switch has now sold 8.13 million consoles in japan which is slightly ahead of the 8.07 million ps4s sold in japan it's a particularly impressive achievement for the switch in japan as it's only been on sale for two years compared to the ps4 which has been sold in japan for five on a global basis however sony's ps4 is miles ahead of the switch sony has sold 96.8 million ps4 consoles worldwide which compares to the 34.74 million switch systems sold globally still that latter figure means switch has already outsold previous nintendo hardware such as the gamecube and the n64 portable systems tend to perform better in japan than other parts of the world which may explain in part why the switch has done so well there the potential for multiple systems to be bought for a single household provides an advantage for handhelds nintendo has previously said it wants every person on the planet earth to own a switch rather than just one per family <laughs> well mean, how convenient of you nintendo to say you want every person to buy one of course you should but get like a this- switch and you should get a switch <laughs> yes i am um, i i don't want to take away from the fact that you know they're selling switches this is great that's cool when i read this story earlier this week i knew that it would probably make it on the rundown and i knew that if i was in in SF and I was hosting KFGD, I would probably have to talk about this. But all I kept thinking of is why is this a news story? Oh, it outsold it by like oh, less than less than a million, and they are still so wildly far behind. Even though I know that PlayStation has a multi-year lead on them, I don't see Nintendo Switch surpassing PlayStation Four sales at this point globally. Just do I like the idea that they're going to sell sixty million more switches before the 
the next generation takes off. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's possible. Gonna, gonna need some discounts that are not vouchers. I think, <laughs> I think the reason this is making news is pe- it's not because people think that Switch is going to outsell PlayStation 4. I don't think that's it. I think what this is, if you look back at the Wii U era, when the total amount of Wii U sold was like, what, 15 million tops, 14 million tops. And it was a fucking flop. It was bad. And so I think it's more about seeing the Switch outperform. And I think it's kind of like, like you said, in a sense, a clickbaity article. It's like, well, this isn't surprising. I mean, Japan is known for its, they like their handhelds. And mm-hmm. PlayStation 4 is has sold many, many more. But I think it's just the idea of Nintendo is doing good. Nintendo has a successful product. We're going to celebrate these little victories because the last generation was a completely different story. And I think that message gets lost when you start, you know, comparing Nintendo and the other consoles. But I think that's the only point that a lot of people who don't follow the industry can really understand. So what if Nintendo sold 8 million consoles in Japan in two years? Well, if you look at what PlayStation has sold in Japan over the past two years, they've sold more than people are like, oh, now I kind of have some perspective. But then you got to throw in the extra like 60 million that PlayStation has sold overall. I think that's more of what it's about rather than Nintendo's going to outsell everything. Yeah, I don't think they're I mean, I hope that they're not trying to imply that. But yeah, um, yeah, I I honestly just think it was probably a slow news day and this was something they could talk about. Go switch in Nintendo. You're I just, doing like, the after thing. reading the after reading the tomfoolery of the story before with this stupid voucher system. <laughs> I'm supposed to be like, good job, Nintendo. You sold some consoles. Heck no, man. I'm I not going to do it. Yes, in the I sense do love that you, Nintendo. They clearly... I was my Switch today, but man, it's dumb. I mean, they clearly at least like improved upon the last generation, which is not hard considering how bad it went. (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, like 13 million, 14, 15 million worldwide, like diggity damn dude. You know what? Fucked up. Sometimes in life, you gotta fail real hard just so that after you can like pat yourself on the back for something minimal that you've done. Absolutely. And I think we're going to continue to see. I can get behind that, Steimer. Yeah. And I I think that's kind of what this is. I think we're going to continue to see these little milestones, no matter how insignificant significant or no matter how much they may or may not mean celebrated in nintendo land just because of the flop that was the wii u i think everyone's gonna be like look guys they're on the up and up the flop heard round the world oh yeah that was a a loud flop that was the loudest flop of the world anyway what i'll really be able to get behind is when they hopefully will overtake xbox one sales not because i don't like microsoft but like microsoft clearly kind of like shit the bed this generation microsoft tripped out of the gate while holding a shotgun blew off their foot fell over and then down a ravine tried to army crawl her way to the rest it's like that simpsons episode you know with homer and he falls down the cliff and then the helicopter comes picks him up and then he keeps hitting against the side of the cliff and then he falls Mm. down the cliff again yeah that's exactly yeah anyway that was they tried right they tried yeah but Microsoft will never announce how many Xbox Ones they've sold. They've already come forward and said, nope, we're never going to say. It's for the best. Cowards. Tell us the numbers, you cowards. It'll come out. It's for the best. Don't do it. Yeah. All right. Um, like, for the record, I love Nintendo. I love my Switch. Everything's fine. Don't freak out people who are listening or watching. I mean, and yeah, and we love Microsoft, too. But fuck you, Don Metric. <laughs> 
<laughs> that guy. All right. On that note, let's end the first segment and take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we've been playing. And it's been quite a bit since Steimer and I were at, was at pre-E3 this week. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. It's segment two of the What's Good Games podcast. This is where we talk about what we've been playing. And this week, it's brought to you by Me Undies. Me Undies are so soft. You're going to want these underwear touching your butt all the time. It's true. Me Undies has the coveted micromodal fabric, which is a full three times softer than cotton. Not only will you feel like your loins are being hugged by joy itself, but Me Undies gives you multiple style options for both men and women. You guys, they are rolling out new prints at a breakneck speed, it feels, over the last couple of weeks. And they've got this new one that's got ice cream cones on it. It's really cute. I, uh, also, there's Star Wars ones. Those are I'm, super cute. Oh, yes. Currently wearing my ones. Star Wars pajama bottoms that were sent to me yesterday. They're stormtroopers dancing, and I'm not flexible, oh. but I'm going to try to show you. Oh, God. Yeah, what? they're so cute. Oh. I got I the Ewoks. Star Wars stuff. I, I got get one. What? Well, uh, no. They're really comfy. Maybe you should check my mailbox. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably. I think I pulled the muscle. So, it's fine. Ow. If you guys are interested in maybe having some dancing stormtroopers across your loins, maybe you'll want to try the new boxer brief with the fly, which is the same great cut as the boxer brief, but now with an added option for guys who prefer to go through the gate versus over the fence. <laughs> the end- <laughs> This is so funny. Also on the go. Oh, Meundis is also the go-to for the softest loungewear on the planet, as Britt just described. Hang out in their super comfy lounge pants and onesies. Yes, me undies makes onesies. You've seen me post a photo on my Instagram of me and my unicorn onesie. I absolutely love it. Steimer's getting her strawberry onesie sent to her as we speak. And if you guys want to get in on a special offer for MeUndies, for first-time purchasers, when you go to MeUndies.com slash WGG, you'll get 15% off and free shipping. That's 15% off a pair of the most comfortable undies you will ever put on. To get that 15% off, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash WGG. That's MeUndies.com slash WGG. All right. Now, I would like to begin this hands-on segment by talking about what Steimer and I did this week. So you guys have maybe heard me talk about pre-E3 or Judges Week before on the show. So What's Good Games is part of a panel of judges for the Games Critics Awards. And this is a group of outlets that are selected by uh, an organization led by Jeff Keeley. And what we do is we get together and we play a bunch of games at the show and then we vote on those games. Uh, We vote on game of the show. We vote on categories like best action adventure or best RPG, et cetera, et cetera. And so as part of that process... We get to have advanced hands-on sessions and presentations from publishers about some of these games so that way we're not overwhelmed during the conference and so we get to see as many games as possible and get some one-on-one time with the developers to ask them specific questions about those games. So as part of that process, we played a ton of games. Most of those games 
We can't say anything about quite yet. We have to wait until E3. But we'll be talking about them. Don't worry. But we did get to play some games that we can talk about this week. And Steimer and I attended what's called the Independent Evening. And uh, they had a bunch of sponsors this year. I think everybody who makes platforms sponsored them, except for Nintendo. Um, PlayStation was a sponsor. ID at Xbox was a sponsor. Uh, Epic Games was a sponsor. Unity was a sponsor. Um, and so they, w- there was quite a cool selection. Um, from that event, Steimer, did you have a game from that that you played that was kind of a standout for you or a favorite? I mean, I liked everything that I saw. Obviously, I think after a party is most of is my jam for the most part. Um, I let's see, and then I'm trying to think, but I think like the the game I had the most entertainment value out of was not one that I played. It was when I watched you and Greg play Supermarket Shriek <laughs> because that I was just I was basically behind you and I was dying laughing because it was so ridiculous. Um, yes. So that game is wild and it's crazy how small that team is. So but. for those who are who don't obviously a lot of you probably don't know what Supermarket Shriek is, but it looks like you there's like two player characters. One is a just a bloke, if you will. And the other is a goat, like a like a literal animal goat. Um, and you, I mean, I agree. You were the one that played the game. So I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and describe it. Yes, yeah. sure. Fuck conventional things. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you tell him, Steimer. <laughs> yeah. So there's two ways you can play the game. One is with microphones, um, and one is just with the triggers. So basically, each of you, you and your partner, will control either the left or the right. So it's sort of like paddling a boat in that sense. Like the person who's on the who's hitting the left trigger, you can go in a circle basically if you're if only the person with the left trigger is hitting it, um, vice versa with the right. So the idea is you're if you, to go straight, you would both be hitting it at the same time or both screaming at the same time. <laughs> uh, and then you could kind of do like minimal. You could go like, uh, uh. So like try and like do little little nudges forward oh. instead of just going full blast. Uh, that was the funniest thing to <laughs> So it, it, the loudness of your voice dictates how powerful. Uh, I don't. I'm not. Yeah, I think it's like the loudness will be your velocity. Yeah. Um, where and then the, <laughs> That's the yeah and then how long you hold it for is how long it's going to go. <laughs> and so you're yeah. you're in a shopping cart, which is why it's called supermarket shriek, and you're going through levels in supermarkets that are just basically crazy, ridiculous um, death traps. So like there's, for instance, a giant axe swinging across an aisle that would obviously never be there in a real supermarket. Uh, And you have to like manage your way to get through that. And then there's like skinnier sections where you have to like avoid the sides or you'll hit in lava. But as we've mentioned, like each one of you is if one of you taps a button on their side a little harder than the other, like you will swerve off into the lava. Yes. Um, (laughs) So watching you and Greg navigate that was amazing. (laughs) <laughs> oh um, there's actually a little video on it uh, I, I don't know if you guys will be able to find it in my timeline but um, um, I, can, I think it was Imran Khan from Game Informer who videotaped us and then posted it um, doing some co-op play the microphone on my side wasn't technically working they were having some trouble with the PC that the build was on um, but Greg was using the microphone at first and I was just screaming with him in solidarity and <laughs> um, so I was I was playing the goat, and so I just kept going, bah, bah, 
bah, bah. It was and great. It, like, it was really funny for us, but apparently it was really annoying for everybody else at the event. I mean, I imagine. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure. trying to think. You're trying to play a game and here's like coming from behind the. <laughs> but oh, not only man. that, the way that the the event was in a like three level building and it's sort of like a loft loft style setup and they were on the bottom. So like them, they probably just echoed straight up (laughs) to like (laughs) the top floor. Oh my God. Um, I heard people who were in the private demo upstairs had to shut the door because of our screaming. (laughs) Yes. That's amazing. So did Greg actually yell into the microphone? Oh yeah. It's great. Of oh, course. Yeah. So, like, how did it? Would he be like, bah! and then it would do a thing? He'd just go, ah! and then that's it's going to go all the way. You're either going to go in circles yeah. if Andrea is not oh hitting God. anything, or so going to go straight if she is. Yeah, the, the cooperation um, of it was really challenging, particularly if there was like a lot of obstacles that we had to navigate around. But it's certainly going to make for some fun, silly streams, uh, no doubt. And you, of course, can play it solo um where you would just use both of the triggers i don't know how it works with a microphone if you're playing it solo i don't know maybe you I, can't use yeah, a microphone maybe, if you're playing yeah. solo also why would you want to sit there and just scream into a microphone by yourself i well, mean I, weirder things have happened <laughs> it's true i don't know <laughs> i think That's one what of I my did. My favorite things about it, though, is that so while this is all happening, you see, obviously, the, the grocery store laid out on screen. Um, You also see both characters. So you see the dude and you see the goat, like pretty up close and personal. And when you scream and or hit the trigger, they do an animation and the goats is fucking hilarious. It's just like his tongue's out. You remember? OK. Yes. There's a Since gif you, of us. Yes. Yes. The gif of us doing that. It's big, pretty much that. It's it's uh, us the with the XO eighteen stream, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, the biggest shit show of the world, but yeah, <laughs> uh, yes, us. indeed. We were the shit show. It's true. Um, so this is from Billy Goat Entertainment. <laughs> it's coming out sometime in 2019 on Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and PlayStation Four. Um, I believe it's um what I thought he said it was coming to Steam too but it's not it doesn't say here it's just listed for the three consoles on their website um but there was a really fun secret level we found like a portal like a blue portal from portal, portal. <laughs> um and it took us to a level that was based off of super hot oh boy and so whenever we would screen time would speed up um and so we had to be very strategic about when we were screaming <laughs> Because of the super hot mechanic in the level, it was really cool. So I think he's going to have some other fun surprises and some stuff in the game. But it was a fun little title. Um, one of the games that I really um, enjoyed, and I I have to be honest, like I had not intended to walk over and play this game. I saw it across the room, and I was like, what the heck is Creature in the Well? Um, and then I saw some people playing it, and I was really drawn by how really unique the art style was and so this game is from a studio called fight school and it's pretty much just two dudes in montreal um it's adam and bodon so bodon does the coding and adam does the art and it's called a pinball action adventure so you play as a robot botsy that is inside of this mountain uh and the mountain um is actually a weather machine and it's been causing this giant sandstorm outside and so the town folks that live around the mountain um haven't been able to leave because they can't see because of the sandstorm and 
they find out that this is this massive creature, the creature in the well, um, that is behind all of this because they want to keep their power over the villagers. This is just like the loose narrative of what's happening and because like there's really not that much dialogue in this game. It's mostly just action. So it's top down and it kind of feels a little bit dungeon crawly and the it's it's pretty close to like 2.5D. And so you play as this little robot and you have like a I don't know if I I want to call it like a stick, but I thought it was a sword. Like, it's not a sword. It might be a sword. I, there's multiple weapons in the game. There's 15 different weapons in the game. And essentially what you do is you there's a mechanic where you'll see these bumpers throughout the world. And so there's like a charge mechanic where you'll see these little balls. And so you hit the balls into the bumper. Like pinball. Exactly. And then you can charge it up and then hit it more powerfully. And then there's certain sections where... There are these laser beams that will light the balls on fire and then you have to like dodge them. And it was really, really fun and also challenging in a way that I hadn't really seen them anybody ever kind of put those mechanics together. Like this idea that it it felt a lot like, you know, like a, a traditional like top down dungeon crawler, but it like for some reason had this pinball mechanic inside of it. Huh. Um, and the art style is, is hard for me to describe. Um, it was inspired by Mike Mignolia um, or Mignola. I'm sorry if I'm saying his name incorrectly. He was the original artist for the Hellboy comics. Um, and so it's got this kind of like um, comic book style to the artwork. And it's, they took, the devs took inspiration from games like Hyperlight Drifter. Um, and, you know, it's got that very isometric feel. So I asked, um, I was asking Genevieve because um, Jean-Vierre Saint-Ange-Miller is the PR rep for this game for Pop Agenda. And she was there showcasing it. And I asked her, I was like, you know, can you tell me about like what the weapons are and, you know, what the powers are going to be? And she was like, listen, all you need to know is there's capes in the game. <laughs> Yes, capes. Let's go. <laughs> She's got you figured out. Um, and that all the levels That's are good PR right there. Just gotta yep. say, yeah. There's listen. There's just capes in the game. Just play. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the levels are handcrafted. Um, so they're not randomly generated like some of these games are. But the colors are randomized. So like the art is the same, but the color of the art um, can be randomized depending on which level you're in and what part of the level you're in. So I really liked it. I thought it was cool. Um, It's currently announced for PC and Switch. And she said they're making another announcement at E3. But I was like, dude, this is a perfect Switch game. So it's kind of like you're dungeon crawling and then you have a sword and then there's a thing that you hit and you have to hit it in a specific way so it bounces around and does a thing i'm trying to think how do you it's yeah so your sword would basically act like the triggers in a pinball mm-hmm. machine the so flippers. the flippers yeah 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 so like granted i i didn't get the chance to play this because I, I ended up having a really long line so i kind of like sit up on the stairs and watched it <laughs> over people yeah if you do a quick google search brit you'll be able to find lots of gameplay because they i believe talked about this in the nindy showcase back at gdc Mm -hmm. um and so you can get some 15 there's a 15 minutes um gameplay video that's out there if you're having trouble understanding but essentially like you're holding like a miniature pinball that it's like a it'd be like the size of a like a cantaloupe like to scale like if botsy Mm -hmm. the robot was holding it in his hand it looks kind of like it's that big 
Um, and then you just like swat it. She oh. told me that the original name of the game was actually stickball. That's amazing. And they were stickball. Like, we should probably like, change it. That's not super from compelling. Stickball. <laughs> stickball. <laughs> Creature in the well sounds way cooler. It's yeah, much more intriguing for sure. Well, cool. Yeah, so I really liked that. I thought it looked fun, and I'm excited to play that game. And there's a janitor frog named it just It just seemed like it looked really hard. That was the one thing that I was a little like, oh, my God. When I would see people, I assume it was a semi, like, sort of a boss level um, where yes. you're, you're on a platform and, like, lasers are shooting across it. So you have to got you got to dodge those while you're trying to shoot all these balls and, like, hit all of the, the bumper triggers down. And I was just like, oh, shit. It did get a little bullet hell like in some of the boss fights for sure. And there was that one boss fight that I did that I was like, oh my gosh, everything's on fire. I'm never going to be able to beat this. But then I did. And I was really proud of myself. Um, the checkpointing system was a little frustrating because mm. um, I was in the middle of that boss fight and I got like close to the end and then I died. And then I had to go all the way back to the beginning. I was oh, like, I hate that. <laughs> We've gotten soft. We've gotten yeah. soft. That's no, what, listen, I've, I've always been soft. Let's just. Hey, you know what? Horizon <laughs> Zero Dawn had fantastic checkpointing. Just going to say it. It did. Some of the best checkpointing in video games right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and another game, the last game that I want to talk about from this showcase that Steimer and I played together. Um, well, mostly I started playing it and then Steimer started yelling at me. And then I, I was, was not yelling at you. Is this That's, the game? This is the, no, 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 no. <laughs> So no. here's what happened <laughs> from crap. my perspective. We can't talk about that game. The one that Greg tweeted about, we can't talk about yeah. it. But so, so okay, we sit down in this ahead. game. Andrea sits down first. I am like, I'm not yelling at you. I'm just like, oh, what's that over there? Oh, like I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to work out a puzzle with you. You take this as criticism of some kind. And then you're like, <laughs> you know what? Fuck you. Like you play. And I was like, what? Oh, shit. Uh, oh, okay. So then I took up the controller (laughs) and then you start doing the same thing to me. And I was like, but I understand that you're just trying to like talk out loud and figure it out with me. So like we just we just did it that way and that worked out well. I think I got frustrated, not because you were trying to help me, because there was like three other people standing behind me that were like backseat gaming me hardcore. And this is like the problem with playing puzzle games in demo situations at events like this, is that you don't get the opportunity to kind of work out on your own how the mechanic, the puzzle mechanic works, because you have all of these people staring at you while you're playing. And it made me, I panicked, Steimer. Okay, no, I I understand that, because I also, I also hate, I'm like... The yeah. same as you. I hate when people are watching me play a game. Um, and so, and especially a puzzle game because you, yeah, you want to like sit there and take the time and like really think about it. And there's, there's no space for that there. And then they like hover over your headphones and like go over there. And you're like, no, I want to figure this like, out on my I, own. Yeah. But can I just, yeah, no. Okay. Anyway, yeah. I get it. Yeah. But her and I had a really good time once we were, you know, kicking, we got our little groove on and then we we're like, okay, no, we put it here. No, we put it over here. So Wait, basically, yeah, we should probably, we should probably tell yeah. you that. <laughs> so the name of the game is called Sojourn. It's coming this summer, 2019, to Xbox One, PS4, and PC. It's a puzzle adventure that focuses on light and dark nodes. Um, you use these, um, I don't even know what they're called, these icons, these statues within the levels to swap positions with the statues to help you strategically cross bridges that will only appear in the dark mode. So essentially, like, there's these little flames around the world. Like, there's, a, like, a like a 
there's like a little like a yeah like a little hub there's like a yeah and you step into it and it will switch it into dark mode and then the dark mode has a meter attached to it so as you move in dark mode around the level the meter drains and so you have to strategically use the position of the wells that refresh your dark mode meter to move around the world and swap positions with these statues to essentially solve the puzzle to make it to the end of the level yeah it's first person so you're just kind of like wandering around you're hitting these different wells you are constantly trying to like figure out where to place for like optimal movement because as she mentioned it's not based on time it's based on movement speed so like if you you could just stand there like right off to the side of the well forever and your your meter wouldn't drain mm. but the minute you start walking in a direction it'll go down um so it's and it was interesting and then like as we sort of got towards the end more elements were added so uh in addition to needing to figure out how and where to swap with these statues you also needed to um, figure out where to move them. And then also another part of the world like fell apart or crumbled and you would need to figure out to, where to hit this harp basically, which would harmonize and then put those pieces back together, but only as long as the music is playing. So it's basically like a few different metered elements where mm-hmm. your path is blocked. And if you can hit all those things at the right time, you'll be able to get through it. Um, and that's how you, that's what you have to put together. Huh. It sounds like it uses brain power. Yeah, it was a it was a brain teaser for sure. The um, exact description on their Steam page. This is of course from Shifting Tides, being published by Iceberg Interactive. Uh, the Sojourn is a thought provoking first person puzzle game in which you traverse the parallel worlds of light and darkness in search of answers to the nature of reality. I asked about the narrative, like what's it all about, and. Um, the rep said that it's metaphorical, like how you can interpret art. They want people to interpret how, what they find in the world for on their own and to kind of let the game mean something specific to them. And I thought that that was really fascinating because you don't really see games do that. Most game creators have a very specific point of view with their narrative. It's not really open for interpretation. So I thought it was an interesting way to approach a puzzle game is to kind of leave everything metaphorical and you get to read into it what you want. Yeah. That makes so. sense. Yeah. 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 yeah but yeah. Um, enough about us. Oh, wait. There was one more game, but I can talk about it afterwards. Um, no, girl, go on with your bad self. Okay. So there was one more game that was actually announced this week that I got to play. Steimer didn't get to play this one. Um, it's called Rocket Arena. So this game is being published by Nexon. You guys may have seen um, some previews that came out, or you might have seen the announcement of Rocket Arena. So this is from a studio that is pretty new. Um, So these guys are actually ex-Halo devs that are up in the Bellevue area. Bellevue's expensive. (laughs) It really is. Uh, The studio is called Final Strike Games. Uh, The closed beta for Rocket Arena begins on May 23rd. It's a 3v3 character-based shooter that is free-to-play. Each character has their own rocket and a set of abilities. Everything is a projectile. Dodging and leading your shots is a big part of the gameplay. There's, of course, a really fun jump, double jump, and triple jump system. But you don't die in this game. 
you just knock your opponents off of the map. Um, so they showed us a few characters, and they're going to review a few, reveal a few more characters at E3. Um, and they have some really fun customization options because obviously it's free to play, so customization and cosmetics are going to be a, a big part of that monetization system. Uh, we pl- got to play a couple of different modes. So we got to play a mode called Knockout, which is exactly like a sound you knock your opponents out of the arena. Uh, a knockout takes a badge and each character has three badges. So in the three V three, each team has nine badges, three per character. And so every time you get knocked out, you lose a badge. So the whole idea is to, you know, don't lose your badges first. Um, and that one was pretty fun. Um, I had a lot of success with that game. And then uh, rocket ball, which is kind of like basketball meets football, where you grab a ball from the middle of the arena and then you bring it to your side while not getting, knocked out of the arena <laughs> um and then the mega rocket i don't quite remember the parameters oh well yeah no the mega rocket is like um it's like a almost like a control point mode where there a rocket would appear on a specific part of the map and you would have to go over and stand in the circle to capture the mega rocket uh without getting knocked out essentially and so what i thought was really neat about this game is that the art style reminded me a lot about Fortnite. And I was like, this is very clearly either inspired by Fortnite or it takes inspiration from other cartoon style games, even down to some of the font use in the game. I was like, this just feels very Fortnite. Yeah, looking at screenshots right now. And yeah, I I see it too. It's really colorful. Yeah, it was very colorful. I had a a really fun time um, playing in the game. The character that I spent the most amount of time with was a character named Amphora? Let me look up. Amphora. So she's this really cute little blonde that has this fun ponytail. um, And then her special ability is that she turns into a stingray. And can like okay, what's up with uh, you liking things that turn into aquatic mammals of sorts? I don't know. It's she's quick and fast. <laughs> Is a stingray a mammal? I don't know. Actually, as soon as no, I started saying that, I'm like, do they lay eggs or do they birth vaginally? I don't know. That's a good. That's a good question for another time. Unless you want to Google it yourself. Um, <laughs> But I liked it because it's like um it's like an evasive tactic. So you're running around, then you t- uh, then she, you know, kind of does this dive move where she kind of floats around on the ground, and then when you come out of your stingray mode, it shoots this giant column of water straight up. So you can really use it to kind of escape getting shot out of the arena, and then you can kind of like sneak attack people and get really close to them, and then shoot the big fountain of water up. It was really fun. It was I liked. I liked her. So, so but, a stingray oh. is a fish, but um, they do live birth. Ha! Huh, so yeah. it's not <laughs> interesting. So it's not technically That's a mammal. the only reason why I brought it up is because I was like, interesting. Because the, the first thing you type is are stingrays. It's like are stingrays mammals. Hey, see, I'm not the only one with a question. Okay, so, yeah. so you, you said these, this game is made by X Halo developers. Yes. How is the gameplay then? How's the gun? Did it go pew pew pew? Yes, it does. So does all it go of the pew, characters, pew, pew. Oh yeah, all of the characters have different types of guns. Um, so because they're like you know very, it feels very Overwatchy in that sense. You know how they are really focusing on like a hero shooter. It's like taking some of that but making it more arena arena based than Overwatch can feel. I feel like the arenas in Overwatch are like much 
they're just, they just feel a lot bigger because they're technically not arenas. They're maps, right? Um, this definitely feels like an arena. It feels like it's smaller and the action's super fast paced. The traversal felt great. The gunplay felt great. Um, one of the other characters I had a lot of fun playing with was this girl named Izel. And she's kind of got this cool tribal vibe. She's got this bitchin' green eye makeup going on. And her special ability... Let me check my notes here. Um, what was her special? Her name kind of sounds like Let's Gazelle, see. so maybe she turns oh. into a gazelle. Oh, sorry, I doubt yeah, it. the 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 Jaka charge. Um, so it's it basically what was kind of cool about this is that she's got a lot of escapability. So if you're getting like charged, uh, so you ha- each character has a meter at the bottom. So as you're taking damage from either AOE attacks or guns or what have your special abilities, it it, it kind of chops away at your meter and then you kind of goes into this like flashing danger mode. As in, like you if you get hit one more time, then you're gonna get knocked out of the arena and what's cool about her is that what you can target people you can find the enemies on the map that have that really low meter flashing meter and you can use her kind of grapple attack to um close the distance and and really do like a like an in your face style like knockout which was kind of fun and i just really love the art of her and some of the character skins that we got to see in the menus were really cool looking because you know as i mentioned as a free-to-play game they're really gonna have to bank quite literally on the <laughs> cosmetics so yeah um, so she was really cool if you guys want to check out what the characters are that they've announced you can head on over to rocket arena dot nexon.net that's the website i believe they have information on the beta if you want to sign up but it was fun um i didn't anticipate liking it generally arena style games are too intense for me but because there's really no death well there is no death in this game it didn't feel as punishing it felt like every time i got knocked out i was like right back in the action like pretty quickly unlike you know like battle royale it's like i feel when you're knocked out you have to start a whole new match you know what i mean yes you do I don't know how this is going to do. It's kind of like um, the one thing I kept thinking of was like, who is this for? Like, which type of gamer would want to, you know, invest a, a significant amount of resources or time um, into this game? But I mean, I had a blast playing. It was super fun. So um, I hope it comes to consoles. I don't think that they've announced platforms yet besides ah. PC for the beta, but. Let me double check the we won't press be touching that, that came PC out this week. shenanigans. We won't go near that. <sighs> yeah, no. Oh, no. So it will be available. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. The most important thing I forgot to mention. It's cross-platform play for PC and Xbox One at launch with PlayStation 4 currently in development. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, that's kind of cool. So, yes, it is coming to console. Neato. Confirmed. Go. Coming to console. Anyway. I'm done talking now. I've been talking for a long time. Brittany, you have been playing something that I've heard quite a few people talking about, A Plague Tale Innocence. So uh, tell me all about this game. I will. More importantly, start with, what is this game? So what is this game? I'm going to go and read the official description because I feel like they just do a way better job than I ever could. <clears throat> 1348, the plague ravages the kingdom of France. Amicia and her younger brother Hugo are hunted by the Inquisition through villages devastated by the disease. On their way, they will have to join forces with other orphans and escape huge swarms of rats using fire and light. Aided only by the link that binds their fate together, the children will face the darkest days of history and their struggle to survive. So that's a plague tale innocence. 
but like <laughs> gameplay wise, no, I just had to, what no, no, does no, that mean? I just had to set, I had to set the setting. Thank you. So yeah, it takes place in 1348 France, uh, which is what immediately piqued my interest because I love that time era. I love, the, I just love everything about that besides the plague and the rats and all that. It's not good. And so how the game starts is you are, you play as Amicia 99.9%. Of this game, and the game starts, and you are in the woods with your father, kind of romping around, just spending some quality time with him. Uh, while you're in the woods, some shit goes down, and you go back home to your little, I don't know if you would technically call it a castle, but you have a little, like, yard with a bunch of people who live there. It's like a little settlement. And things go south, and you and your brother Hugo have to escape. And the thing is, Amicia and Hugo aren't close. They've never been close due to Hugo's illness. And all of a sudden, Amicia, who is 15, has found herself in charge of Hugo. So during almost the entirety of the game, Hugo is going to be holding your hand. And it is primarily a stealth game. There is some light combat and so you and puzzle elements. So the stealth comes in when you are trying to get past the Inquisition, who is one of the main enemies in the game and who is always hunting you and finding you. It's kind of like one of those video game things, tropes. Like, no matter where you go, the Inquisition is there. You have to try to find a way to sneak past them to get to your next objective. And there is, you know, a story that goes with this. And so it makes sense that you're in the locations that you are. But I don't really want to talk about that too much because I think it should be experienced. And I think if this game sounds somewhat intriguing at all, you should just freaking play it it's 40 dollars. really good okay so you have to distract the soldiers and it's like your typical stealth game in the sense that you'll have a rock and you have to throw this rock and hit something metal so it'll cause a clang you can't just throw a rock on its own the soldiers won't pay any attention to it so you have to look for strategic places to throw said rock there are pots that you can find every once in a blue moon that will actually distract the soldier without having to hit something metal so but those come very rarely um, and there's tall grass that you have to sneak around in, you know, the soldiers have their little stealth meters that'll like eventually fill up. And then once they are their detection meters and once they fill up, they'll start looking at you. But thankfully, this game is very forgiving in the stealth department, which is something that I was very grateful for because I typically hate stealth in in games. I'm really bad at it. I'm really klutzy. Like in Dishonored, I was stealthy for about 30 seconds and then I just ended up killing everyone and everything that I saw in my path. Um. I have a question. Yeah. You said that you're holding someone's hand for most of the game. However, Mm -hmm. I wonder, is it like an eco mechanic? Like, do you manually let go or is the game just like auto holding this person's hand? The game auto holds the hand, but you tell you can tell Hugo when to stop so you can cause a distraction and then tell him to go do something or you were you or you can tell him to hold your hand. You you can kind of control what he does and how he does it. Yeah. Um, And so that's primarily the stealth part of it and then the other part is the rats (laughs) there are if you don't like rats you're gonna hate this game because they are fucking everywhere and it's actually really well done and really cool despite the the hundreds and hundreds of rats on the screen i never experienced any leg or chugging or clipping or anything it was really impressive so the rats are a force that they love the darkness and they can't stand fire or light so you have to kind of use that to your advantage you know fire is going to be something you use a lot torches you're going to have to light six on fire. The problem with those, they only stay lit for a certain amount of time. You're going to find alchemy and concoctions that you can build that will either attract the rats briefly to a certain part of the map or completely, you know, or you can throw a ball of fire in a sense and it'll disappear. The rats will just like go everywhere and they'll clear a path for you. You can, there's a whole bunch of different things you can do. I'm trying to think of some of the other things. Um, I'm watching, I'm watching some gameplay clips while you're talking 
Um, and like, I see what you mean by the rats. Like, there's that's a that's a there's a lot of rats. Of rats. Yeah. It's a I've lot. seen people playing. It's and like I a was horde like, of rats. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's also things you can throw to bring more rats to your location. Anyway, so you just do a lot of rat manipulation throughout the game, and it slowly introduces rat manipulation. <laughs> it slowly introduces they, all the skills. Sound kind of like Harry Potter spells. I don't know. They're like here's Ignificus or whatever the hell. I don't even know what the names are. But I'm like, okay, it sounds I it's like you know legit. Yeah, totally. Um, and so you have the rats and you have the soldiers, and eventually, you know, you can use the rats against the soldiers once you get strong enough. You can. It's really fun to lure a soldier unsuspecting somewhere, and then you put out his flame, and the rats just completely devour him. It's really good. Um, but so that's primarily how the game plays. What I loved about it is I became so invested in the character and so captivated by the settings around. There's so much attention to detail. And despite, like I said, someone like me who does not like stealth, I don't like escort missions. And this game is essentially one big escort slash stealth mission. It didn't feel as, for lack of a better word, annoying as they typically do in games. It just felt very casual and laid back, which is good for me because I didn't find this game challenging at all. And I think that speaks volumes because I've no, I know people have also been turned off by that because they don't like stealth missions either. But I would say, don't let that deter you. If I can handle it, you can handle it too. The one thing this game definitely needs, though, I think is a manual save system. There are checkpoints in this game, and some of them are fine, but other ones just kind of make you like want to punch something in the face. For example, there are some instances where you'll die and you have to start the checkpoint over. And so, okay, so what you want to do, and for, here's an example. I, there's a thing that I found off in the distance because I explored a little bit, and that triggers like 30 seconds of dialogue. And then after I triggered that dialogue, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go proceed with the mission. I started doing the mission. I died. I had to start the checkpoint over, which means I had to initiate that dialogue, which was optional, but I had to initiate it again. Then I had to do that about three or four times because in a self game, you know, it can be trial and error and sometimes you don't see the enemies. So while I say the checkpoint system isn't terrible, a manual system would benefit or this game would benefit from a manual save system. I understand that that could come along with issues because as you play this game, you collect certain resources, you know, whether it's rocks or regs or alcohol or um, oh, some sort of powder. I can't remember what it's called. And if you use all of those up and then you manually save and you have no more to craft anything, then you're just kind of screwed. So, like, I get it. So speaking of that, you have a sling and that's like your weapon in this game is a sling. And eventually you can make it so you upgrade it that you can hold a rock in it and you can fling it, hit soldiers in the head and kill them if you so please. And you can do that. You can upgrade the set, the, um, how silent your sling is when you throw it. So, cause right now the way it is, it, when you first have your sling and you throw it, it goes like, whoosh, whoosh. It's really loud and everyone hears you. And you're like, crap, well now I'm not stealthy at all, but you can upgrade that. So it causes less noise. You can upgrade how much noise you make when you run. You can upgrade the efficiency and the effectiveness of certain potions or alchemy that you do. So you, there's ways to make your journey easier. It's not at all necessary to proceed through the game, so but you will be collecting things um, as you play because you'll you'll find them a little bit of everywhere. Um, but the art looks really good. This the game art is looks really amazing, beautiful. This is a gorgeous, gorgeous game, and the acting is so good, and ambient sounds are so good. This was a really hard game for me to put down once I started. Total, I think eight to ten hours is to be expected. There are collectibles if you want to try to find them. Um, you don't have to; it's not required. But it is fun, and they do have some historical stuff in there. So if you pick something up, it'll give you a little insight into it. Which for me, you know, I love that time era. It was really fascinating, and it was really fun. 
But yeah, even from the voice acting, because, you know, it, it is a silent game because, you know, people for the most part aren't like having a conversation when there's all the Inquisition is trying to like kill them. Um, so I mean, yeah, probably not. Probably not. So, you know, the, like the kids will be whispering and the whispering sounds really good. It, it doesn't sound like forced or fake. Everything just sounds how it should. And this is a really cool game. I think it's very unique. And I would definitely recommend checking it out if it sounds like something you might be interested in. It, like I said, really captivating. It was really hard to put down once I started playing it. I just kept thinking about it. I kept wanting to play it. I will say, um, I'm not going to spoil anything, but the ending did get a little weird, a little cuckoo. But okay. But other than that, and if you ladies play it, we can talk about it. But um, other than that, like I said, I just really enjoyed my time with it. And it definitely is, you know, a, one of the best games I think I've played. One of my favorite games I've played this year so far, just because of the cool. kind of experience. Yeah, it, it's really great. And I think it has like an 83 on Metacritic right now. And yeah, it's currently 81. Yeah. And it's got a 9 out of 10 on Steam. Um, this, of course, is from Asobo Studio, published by Focus Home Interactive. I have to be honest. I've gotten so many press releases about this game that I just I just like pushed it to the side. Yeah. I was like, I've gotten way too many emails about this game. I, I can't even look at another one. And then when you said you were going to play it, I was like, oh, good. I want to I want to hear what Britt thinks about it. And then I saw a bunch of people start to tweet about it. So maybe I'm going to have to check this out now. Yeah, it seems neat. I've seen a lot of people tweeting about it. And I was like, interesting. And but I Hugo- wasn't quite sure what the gameplay was. So I'm glad that you got to explain it, Britt. Yeah, and Hugo's a little five-year-old, and I really like him. You know, Simer, I know you said something that I thought thought about, and you're right. Usually, kids are used as a how do you how did you describe it? Like a soft point, something to make you feel guilty or make it's, you feel. It's like an emotional trigger for people that they try and use. They're like emotional bait. Yeah, and I feel like Hugo isn't that. If anything, Hugo, I I thought you know besides some of the weird shit that goes on with him, like he's a good kid. He's always agreeable for the most part. Sure, he has his little moments, but I'm like Hugo, you've restored my faith in children. You know, he's, you ask him oh, to do wow. something and he's like, yeah, I'll do that. Or he's just really cute. And he's, he's just not so agreeable. Dick. How de- yeah. how amazing. He listens when you tell him to do shit. He's like, OK. And you're like, thank kid. God. Yeah. Um, you know, all the, the main characters in this game are are kids, but it never has that weird. Oh, God, what's that book called? Child- something of the flies or something. Children of the flies. Yeah. Or- Is that it? No. Lord of the flies. Sorry. Lord of the flies. Thank you. Yeah. Um. All the characters I think are really likable. They all have their quirks. There are some parts of it that I won't go into for spoilers' sake. That I'm like, that's probably not necessary, but okay. Um, you know, it's it's for the most part, it, it's a dark game, but it's kind of a relaxing game to play because you don't have to think way too much about it. Despite it being a self game, if I didn't have to think too much about it, and I am like the worst at self, I think for the most part, people will have a a, a pretty good time with it, easy time. But story worth experiencing. What I would say. All right. Um, in addition to that, you have also <laughs> been taking a little trip down memory lane, which we talked about, I believe, last week, right? How you've been playing Final Fantasy VII on your Switch? Uh, I think that might have been during the secret segment. I don't know. That might have been. Yeah, but TLDR. I got all excited about the um, Final Fantasy VII re-reveal, whatever you want to call it. So I'm replaying it on my Switch. and the state of play? State of play, yeah. And if you haven't played it, I would say it's worth picking up on the Switch. It's obviously portable, and it has the cool features in, in it where you can restore your health and your um, magic at any time by clicking a button. You are constantly in uh, overdrive, which is great. And you can skip random battles, and it's lovely. It's a good way to play the game. It's not, it's not, it's not grindy. Cool. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, we're going to take one more break. So stick with us, everybody. Also, I called it overdrive. It's called a limit break. Don't hate me. Hashtag fake fan. (laughs) Hashtag fake fan. No one would do that to you. Oh, people would definitely do that. And if they did, we'd just delete them. Off the internet. That's what we do. (laughs) (laughs) All right. No, but for real now, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. It is the third and final segment of the What's Good Games podcast. And for our feature for this week, I'm going to be giving you a dauntless preview. But before I get into that, I have to tell you this segment is brought to you by Fleur. Even if you spritz on perfume every day, here's something you might not think about. What's actually in it? That's why we're so excited about Fleur. They make stunning, non-toxic perfumes and list all of their ingredients online. You get a good scent made with clean ingredients, and the sample process is just plain fun. For luxurious perfumes that's all about good, clean, fun, try Fleur. That's spelled P-H-L-U-R. First, you're going to get to know each of Fleur's scents with pictures, words, and even playlists on their site. Then you actually get to try them on your own skin and see how it works for your life. Fleur's world-class perfumers are scent artists. And these people, excuse me, and these perfumes are their masterworks. Another cool thing, every Fleur scent is gender-free. But the best part, Fleur is a completely transparent fragrance company. They tell you every ingredient in their perfume and why it's there. And the good news is that they just introduced body wash and body lotion in the same sense, so you can smell amazing all the time, just like Steimer does. Mm -hmm. I gave her a hug yesterday, and I had to take an extra whiff because she smells so good. It's true. You did grab and and she like, Hold on, come here. I was like, I was like, I lingered just a little bit longer than you normally would for a hug with a friend, and I was just like, Oh, Stimer, you just smell so good. Is this weird that I'm sniffing you? And I was like, you know, only mildly uncomfortable by it, so it's all good. That's not well, bad. Thank you for thank you for tolerating my mildly uncomfortable hug. But that scent that Stimer likes is the Ciano scent, um, and you've been using it for quite some time now. Yeah, like uh, a couple years. It's yeah. working. Don't yeah. don't stop. Don't it's, won't. Stop. It's, it's excellent. If you guys want to smell as good as Steimer does, you got to go to Fleur.com today and use the promo code What's Good to get 20% off your first custom Fleur sample set. You'll get to pick three cents to try and get credit towards a full-size bottle of your favorite. That's P-H-L-U-R.com and use that promo code What's Good to get your first three Fleur fragrance samples at 20% off. P-H-L-U-R.com. Promo code, what's good? All right. Before I get into the preview, we also have to say a huge thank you to our Mythic membership patrons and above because you guys are what keep the lights on here at What's Good Games, and we want you to get your special shout out. So without further ado, Brittany, you want to kick things off? Steimer will kick it to you, and then I'll come in at the rear. Sounds great. Aaron Sexton. Adam Kianston. <laughs> I messed that up. Kind of That's an interesting name. Um, Adrian Rock Williams. Alberto Andreas Videla. Alex Rogopoulos. Andrew Cotton. Andrew Smith. Andrew Susan. <laughs> Anthony Murphy. Ariella Furman. Bill Stilwell. Billy Shibley. Brandon Schwartz. Brian Harper. Brian R. Johnson. Brooklyn Angela Harris. Carl Peterson. 
voice. Kathy Lucas. Chris Wilson. Christopher Lindmark. Cool Rat Daddy. David Akalucci. Devin N. Donato Sanicio Third, Dustin Lewis. Dylan Blank. E. Benjamin Checkness. E. Irisari. Eli. Elizabeth Brook. Elmo Shell. I tried to do a weird Elmo voice, but that was not Elmo voice at all. I don't Elmo. know how to do it. No. There, there he that's is. Not, yeah. That's not quite an Elmo voice. No, that's better than mine. <laughs> Emily Kent. Emma Acorn. Beres Atrich. Gabriel D'Andrea. Geek Heart Games. Geo Corsi. Gregory Horton. Ivan Bajarano. Jacob, we're going on a safari. Jake Sue. <laughs> James Bravo. Jared Hallad. Jasmine Lee. Jason Kerr. Hesson de Mac. <laughs> Jessica Bloom. <laughs> Joe Kennison. Joe Schlieff. Joe Wilson. John Drake. Jonathan Cadwell. Giselle Bassa. Justin Foshi. Justin Foster Teeth. Like Kevin Foss, Dunkel. <laughs> Key B. Kyle and Kelly B. Kyle Kaiser. Leonardo Roberto Talavera Baroccio. Lincoln Davis. Lucas Cheney. Marco Antaveros. Mark Drestrup. Martha Emery. Ah. Matthew Goddard. Matthew Simpson. Melanthius Owens. <laughs> Michael S. Mohammed Mohammed. Molly Bittner. Nambue. Nicole Humphrey. Noel Nevarez. Ozzy Mejia. Paige Parter. Patrick Higgins. Patrick Laundry. Patrick Wella. Pete Shoemaker. Professor Metal Gear. Punctified. Pure Blue Octopus. <laughs> RJ Bryan. Regan Imsen. Rob Leonard. Robert Adams. Roland Bala. Ross Haney. Brian B. Sam. Sean I. Simon Bergstead. Oh, God. I know we've been told <laughs> many times. No pressure, Brittany. Help. Help me. I'm drowning. Just Throw say me a something. Life tube. Just say anything. Does anyone remember, remember how to properly say this? No. <laughs> Sorry. Gave us the phonetic pronunciation, too. Sean, Sean Stevenson. Dude, I'm so Sorry. <laughs> Steph Wu. <laughs> Stephanie DuPont. Stephanie Fitzwilliam. Sydney Carr. Tara Bruno. <laughs> Teddy Gann. Terry Sainert. The Ghost Dog 420. Ooh. The Row 7. Timothy Bennett. Tommy Larson. Tony Shea. Travis. You did it. There we go. <laughs> Trent Berry. Trent Pennington. Trevor Starkey, Tyler McCall, Will Collum, Will Hernandez, and Zach Hershey. Yes. Thank you so much, patrons. We love you guys. Again, patreon.com slash what's good games if you want to be part of the mythic membership. And above, you get all kinds of cool stuff like the April Secret segment that we talked about earlier. All right. Now, it's time to chat about Dauntless. Ooh. So, this is a game I first played at PAX South. About oh boy. three years ago. And so it's been in development from Phoenix Labs. They've been in beta um, for quite some time now. And they're gearing up for launch on May 21st next week. And it's going to launch on Xbox One, PS4, and PC on the Epic Game Store. 
Um, there's about 100 people on the core team that have been working on the game for the past couple of years. They've got two different offices. they got an office in Vancouver, and then they have a satellite office right here um, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, so I got to go over there and check out their offices and get a deep dive hands-on with the final build of the game, which is very exciting. And um, some exciting news for Switch fans, Iron Galaxy is working on the Switch version of Dauntless mm-hmm. that is going to be coming sometime later in the year. Um, and... What's really neat is that they are working on crossplay for this game as well, which I thought was super cool. So they haven't confirmed all the platforms for crossplay, but that they are indeed working on it and that it will be in the game in some form, which I thought was neat. Um, and so for people who are like, what the heck is Dauntless? So Dauntless is essentially a monster hunter like combat game they literally called it the hunting action genre the progression feels more like a live service game though with continual updates unlike monster hunter which has you know traditional expansions and they're not you know doing these updates weekly that's different than than dauntless though the core genre gameplay is very very similar um so the art style is I kind of thought it felt like a cross between Sea of Thieves and Fortnite. Mm, I see that. Really, this really kind of cartoony art style. Um, you all of the all of the action takes place on this this island, and you get dropped onto the island as a slayer. That's what they call the. The, the monster hunters in the world of Dauntless, and you essentially go on hunts. So they have a hunt pass system that they're building in to play Dauntless, and you guys can check out the roadmap for all of the live service stuff if you're really interested in looking at you know that kind of content planning um, over on their Play Dauntless website. And they have 20 distinct archetypes of behemoths, which are the monsters in the game that you go and hunt. Um, They've got, and of those 20 distinct archetypes, they've got a lesser version, a dire version, which is more challenging, and then a heroic version, which is endgame content. So essentially, they've got 60 behemoths, if you think of each of the different classes of the one um, as as a separate version. So Ramsgate is the social hub that I saw. And inside the social hub, you know, there's going to be your typical vendors and things you can, people you can buy stuff from. The really cool part about it is that it's instanced. And so you can see around roughly 30 to 40 people, public players inside running around Ramsgate with you, which I thought was really fun because that was something that I was sorely missing in Monster Hunter World is that you spend so much time crafting this super cool badass gear, like between your weapons and your armor sets. And then... Only a few people really get to see it when you're out on a hunt, unless you went to that special level where you had to like invite people to go in and then you could run around and see people, but it was only like a couple of people, not like 30 people. You want to show off their gear. Yeah, exactly. One of the things I love about the shared world of the tower and destiny is that I'll see people in gear sets and I'll be like, whoa, what is that? And, you know, you inspect their character and you get to see, you know, how they spec it out and take a look at it. And I always really like that because it helps you maybe find stuff that you wouldn't have chased if you were just looking at it as a menu item. But then you see it on somebody and you're like, whoa, it's an aspirational actually- element. That Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um. And they also are building in a guild system. 
uh, I think the guild system might actually be active already. Uh, you can have 100 players per guild. And there is a guild chat and expanded social systems. Um, they are working on guild rewards that are coming later in the summer, which I thought was really cool. And they're also going to be working on expanded leaderboards coming later in the summer. So this is a four-player um, co-op game. You can go on these hunts for these giant behemoths um, as a party of four. Or you can matchmake if you prefer. Um, and the RPG system is called a mastery. So what I thought was really neat about the way that they handled the RPG progression is that there's the mainline um, loose narrative progression for the RPG, but then they have this um, mastery system connected to the hunt pass. So for seasonal and rotational content, season five launches on the 21st when the game goes into full retail um, and they have daily and weekly quests. So it really encourages players to log back in and go on hunts for these quests for masteries that are tied specifically to the hunt pass. So I just really found it fascinating how many things they thought of when it came to the live service aspect of this game. Um, the, the thing that I was kind of having trouble with during my playthrough was the combat itself. Mm. I, I kept asking all of these questions about like the hunt pass and guilds and crafting and like how like the mechanics of the game break down. But I'm still on the fence with how I feel about the combat in and of itself. Mm. I'm trying to remind myself that it took me quite some time to get into Monster Hunter combat because it's not for the faint of heart, right? It's challenging. It's tough. You have to have patience and you have to, you know, know is there the a dodge button, outs. I assume? There is a dodge button. Yeah, that'll um, do it. So they've got six different classes at the moment, six different weapon classes. Um, they've got a sword, an axe, a hammer, chain blades, a repeater, which is like the the dual guns, and a war pike. Um, and the war pike is kind of cool because it's the only weapon that can do a variety of damage types, like piercing, sharp, blunt, etc. Um, and so you essentially start out the game by picking your one weapon type, and then you can you know expand into different weapon types uh, as you progress in the game. Uh, I of course went immediately for the repeaters because I was a light bowgun person in Monster Hunter and uh, really love ranged weapons when it comes to fighting these gigantic behemoths. And I was having a lot of fun with it. Um, there's also an elemental system across all six of these weapon classes, including armor. So you can craft specific types of elemental armor to go up against certain types of behemoths, right? So you get the, like the ice behemoth and you go, so you come in with the fire armor, et cetera, et cetera, um, or whatever. And then, um, so that's Terra and Shock, Radiant and Umbral and Frost and Blaze are the six elements. And those are the two and two and two and how they counteract each other. And there's a, a weapon for every behemoth you fight. So essentially, if you think about each of the classes, there's a different type of hammer for each of the behemoths. So there's like 20 different kinds of hammers. So there's a lot of ways to chase weapons in this game if you really want to go because much like Monster Hunter, when you are going to fight these behemoths, you know, depending on how difficult it is, whether you pick the... The lesser the dire or the heroic depends on what your rewards are, um, how many people are in your party scales, the rewards as well. And so like you'll break off pieces of the monster and you have to collect them in order to craft things, right? So a lot of it felt, like I said, feels very Monster Hunter. And I the reason I keep saying Monster Hunter is because I haven't played something else in this hunter combat genre 
Have you ladies played anything else in that genre? No. And my next question to you is going to be, I don't know if you've played enough of Dauntless to be able to answer this, but do you know why someone would choose Dauntless over Monster Hunter or vice versa? Did you get enough of a, this feels much different than this vibe from in any aspect? Um, That's a great question. The thing I appreciated about Dauntless is that it was much more approachable than Monster okay. Hunter is. I think Capcom did a fantastic job with making Monster Hunter World in particular the most approachable Monster Hunter they've ever made. Obviously, it went on to become Capcom's most successful game of all time. But that being said... Monster Hunter World doesn't require you to use all of the intricate systems that exist in the game. I There was times when I had no idea what I was doing with all of the different, like crafting items and like the potions and like my inventory screen was just full of a bunch of shit that I never used right I felt like it was like superfluous in a lot of ways and I think what I I really appreciate about Dauntless is that they've kind of streamlined that so that you don't have all of these extra systems in play that you have to worry about you can kind of just focus on your gear set and you can focus on your weapons Um, but they do have um, a relic system which is kind of like a buff that you can customize to, uh, to fit your play style, which I thought was really neat. And they really let you pick what kind of hunter or slayer, excuse me, you want to be based off, you know, which weapon you pick. And you can kind of like hot swap them to, to how you want to, to play. Um, each fight, of course, has a ranking system that will dictate rewards. And I think the real difference between Monster Hunter and Dauntless is that it's set up as a live service game, whereas Monster Hunter is not. So once you go through all of Monster Hunter, um, you can kind of cap out at that game um, where you like put like 100 hours in and you've done all the story missions and you've collected you know most of the armor sets. And I guess you know the replayability in Monster Hunter comes through you know using a different weapon class and exploring different types of weapons within that subclass. Because I mean the You've seen the crafting menus. Like, they are bonkers. They're extensive, right? It's almost overwhelming how many different RPG systems are interplaying in Monster Hunter. And that's what I think is great about Dauntless is that they've provided a nice, like, pretty deep RPG system, but without it being so overwhelming. Does that That make sense? Yeah, that sounds lovely. Because I would love to get back into Monster Hunter, but I know the learning curve there is going to be huge. And when I think mm-hmm. about Monster Hunter, I, it's funny when you're talking about how your screen, your inventory screen, which is a whole bunch of items and you have no idea what they are. Because that's like the first image that comes into my mind is, why do I have this? Why did I have it? What do I do with it? So if this is a little bit more of like a baby's first beast slayer type game where it maybe it is a little bit more streamlined, that sounds much more attractive because I like Monster Hunter, but the the mental... The brain power it would require for me to get back into that and get it like down pat, I don't have at all. Yeah, I 100% get where you're coming from. And I love also that not only do they not have limits on your inventory, you can essentially hold like infinite amounts of things at your inventory in Ramsgate. You're limited with what you can bring on the hunt, obviously. Like they can't like you bring like a hundred grenades with you on the hunt. <laughs> That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but th- once you're in Ramsgate, like you, like your stash can like hold all this stuff. You don't have to like delete stuff or sell stuff just to get rid of it. Which I was like, thank you, Jesus. Why is this such a hard concept to understand about just opening? I just want to be a hoarder. Just let me hoard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but what I thought was um, also cool. I was looking at my notes here. Um, 
was that they do a lot of transmog. And I was like, I was thank like, God. thank you, thank you, thank you for making transmog a thing. When I was in the crafting system, um, looking at how you can mix and match your builds, right? So like you obviously get set bonuses if you are wearing a full set of the same type of armor. But if you want to have a, a helm that has specific properties and boots that have different properties, et cetera, et cetera, um, you can customize them with dyes, shaders, and then you can transmog them all to look the same, even though the properties are going to be different for your character. And I was like, Yes, praise Jesus that you put transmog in this game because that gives you a reason to chase specific pieces of gear but also be able to focus on customization because everyone wants to look pretty, right? Yeah, man. That's the only reason why I play video games. (laughs) To look pretty. To look pretty. Have your cape. Yes. Exactly. Um, so I was, of course, made my my Slayer pink and purple because Avi. Um, <laughs> so I assume and, then uh, since you're you like pick your body type or whatever, you go in. How do you how do you make your Slayer? Oh yeah. So um, the customization options are awesome. Um, so I got to see extensive ones. They they didn't have everything um, in the build that I played. Um, I know because I specifically asked about freckles. I was like. Can I put freckles on my Slayer? What a specific question. Well, whenever there's a freckle option, I always use it because I always make my characters in games look like me. So she's always got to have some kind of red hair. She's got to have green eyes. She's got to have long hair if possible. And she's got to have freckles because I have freckles. Duh. Um, And they were like, yes, there are freckles on the game. You just happen to be in a build that the freckles aren't in. But they showed me a screenshot of like what the freckles look like. And they're like, look, we have them. Like us. lying to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, yes. All right. That's awesome. Um, So the character, you essentially you make your slayer um, at the start of the game, which I like too. It's not like this preset archetype. You can really customize um, your slayer to how you want them to look, which I love. Um, And I believe... They don't have – I would need to double-check this. I don't think that they have a gender system. I think they just have um, masculine or feminine body types. Um, so if you want to be a masculine body type but you want to have you know, feminine qualities on your face, you could do that. So you can really kind of make characters that are super gender neutral or can swing one way or the other, uh, which I thought was a really nice touch. Um, and they also are working on some accessibility options. They didn't have all of the options available for me to check out at the preview that I went to, but they do have full controller support. So that means, of course, support for the Xbox One accessibility controller. Um, what is the official name of that controller? I think that's adaptive. Right. Adaptive controller. Thank you. That is what it's, that's what it's uh, called. Um, but yeah, so. The armor's cool. It has a cell system, um, kind of like gems that you can socket in that drop as quest, quest rewards. You can get specific kinds of cells in the season pass. Um, they're not crafted like armor, but you can go to a specific vendor for them. So you can get these little cells and combine weaker ones to make a stronger one, um, kind of like combining gems in Diablo. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it looks really fun. So, so far, like... I've been, I was really impressed by everything that they showed me. Um, the new hot pass that's coming out, um, I believe is called Hidden Blades and you can get it for 1000 platinum, which is the in-game currency, uh, or about 10 bucks, I believe is what the, oh, um, did they talk about the, how they're going to monetize the game in the specific ways? 
since it is free to play? Um, so the, the monetization is all in the customization. So they, okay. of course, are very much aware of the conversation around microtransactions right now. And they are they are very adamant that there was no pay to win. There's no pay for power. It's just all pay to look pretty. So Hell yeah. It's just, Great. It's That's something worth paying customization for. customization options. Yeah. And they have some really fun um, customization. And like, I can't, ex- I can't express enough how important it is that transmogrification is in this game with a game focused on cosmetics because I keep going back to how frustrating it is for me as a Destiny player to chase these really cool armor sets and seasonal content and then have them be rendered virtually useless when the seasonal content's over because then they're, I can't transmog them and now the powers are useless, but I really like the way they look. So sometimes I'll just put my resplendent gear on because I want to because it looks cool and it lights up and it's got a shiny cape. And then you just strut and, around. Yeah, but it bums me out that like I can't keep it with me. And so I think that, you know, Phoenix Labs really thought about the importance of letting people grind for gear, but then letting them look the way they want to look. And yes, I wish more it's very developers. Important. Yeah, I wish more developers did that. Otherwise, that's the you... one thing I don't love about, like you mentioned, that the art style reminded you of Sea of Thieves. I think like that's my biggest pet peeve about it. I'm like, I just want to fucking build my character, and I want uh, it to be me. Oh no, you! They have lots of pretty girl options. I love pretty girl options because that they was our big gripe right about Sea of Thieves. That like we felt that all of our pirates were just a little too garish. They were just ugly, a too rough around the edges. Yeah, yeah. they were too piratey. Some shit, which is yeah. fine. I get that, but it won't but kill like, you to like put some effort into your appearance once in a while. Not only that, but like maybe I was a former bar maiden who then decided to become a pirate. Like you don't know me or my life. How dare you dictate <laughs> what a pirate looked like? I mean, it's true. I got nothing for that. You're right. <laughs> Damn yeah, right. My stupidest my argument of all time. was bitchin'. She had her red hair on fleek. I had my pink and purple armor. Yeah. No, um, I mean, obviously, if you wanted to go Monster Factory style and make a completely <laughs> grotesque looking slayer as well, you can do that. I mean, it's all about, you know, the, what your personal preference is for how you want your slayer to look. So, I mean, I'm definitely going to be checking this out, particularly because they're working on crossplay and it's coming to consoles. And I really enjoyed my time with Monster Hunter World. I'd never spent much time in this uh, this hunting action genre before, and it really hooked me in a good way. And I like how um, approachable Dauntless is. So if you guys are interested in checking it out, of course, like I mentioned, it's launching on May 21st, uh, Xbox One, PS4, and PC. Um, and you guys can um, can check it out. I guess I have to make a What's Good Guild now. In yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I want to try it out. Like I said, I like Monster Hunter World, but I don't have the brain power right now. But this looks... A little, a little easier on the brain. It's folds. like a, it's like a, it's like Monster Hunter World. It's like a little bit of Guild Wars. Like I yeah. like these things. Mesh them together. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yes. The one thing I told them, I was like, yo, if I could make like just one piece of feedback since I'm doing this private play session at your studio, can we get a reticule on screen? Because <laughs> it makes combat challenging for people like me that aren't so good with those giant swords. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're like alright noted we'll think about it and I was like thank you that's all I want is just for you to think about it is there a ridicule <laughs> in Monster Hunter I don't remember I don't 
think so. I had a reticule with the light bow gun because of how it was a ranged weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, but they the only ranged <laughs> weapon here are the are the repeaters. So, um, but yeah, the game is fun. It's cool. Highly recommend you check it out. There's a whole narrative system about um why the island exists and this life force, this ether um that exists throughout the island. They gave me this really cool art book that shows a lot of the concept art for the behemoths from the first behemoth that they started with to, you know, all 20 that um, are archetypes that are in the game. And um, they did say it's like narrative light. So don't go in there expecting some kind of a, a deep story. But quite frankly, you know, I think that's the right call to focus more on the battles and the fights and the hunts than the narrative because I think we can all agree like the Monster Hunter World narrative was like not that exciting. <laughs> It's just like, yeah, you're a hunter and you're going to find this giant monster and then you're going to kill it and then you're going to go hunt more monsters and then you're going to kill those monsters too. Because you are a monster hunter. Because that's literally the name of the game and I'm not sure why you're here otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I like it. It's cool. It's fun. Thank you, Phoenix Labs, for having me out and showing me the game because I hadn't played it for quite some time because they've been showing it quite a bit over the last couple of years but once they told me they were ready to launch i was like all right now it's time lay all the information on me yes and a few of yeah. these uh devs are former bioware folks mm-hmm, indeed and the studio was bigger than i thought it was i didn't realize it was um around 100 people working on this game so you know i think that bodes well for people who have been playing in the beta and who have been joining their time to know that they're committed to doing you know lots of ongoing live service content. So if you're looking for a live service game that isn't, you know, PVP focus and that, you know, has that RPG loot grind loop with transmog, then maybe Dauntless is for you. All right. That's all I have to say about that. Do you guys have any other questions? Nah, man. Which platform are we playing on? Right. Um, PS4? I figured as much. Mm Mm-hmm. Considering that my Xbox, Xbox but, One did not know run Monster Hunter World. World. Won't, won't play with this. <laughs> no. I, just, I don't like getting yelled at. Hey. It's not yelling at you always. It's usually just sometimes, you know, yelling in the direction of... <laughs> yelling in my general direction. Yelling in the direction. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. It's more of like um, enthusiastic encouragement. Yes. Thanks, oh, Andrea. That was a good spin. Fuck off with that bullshit, Sam. You have everyone hates the PR bullshit spin on it. And that was a PR bullshit spin. That Although, was an amazing PR bullshit spin. It was very spin. clever. It was very clever. <laughs> I can't wait till we get to talk about our story, that uh, the one that Greg tweeted about. Oh, boy. Yes. Unfortunately, we won't get to talk about that until E3. But wah, wah. It's fine. I'll still remember it all. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a moment for the books. It was great. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> all right you guys thank you so much for tuning into the show this week don't forget we're going to be in london in just like a week and a couple of days oh my oh, god um, go to it's our actually, page you and i are both RTP. leaving like right now this time next week yes Brittany will be le- i think we're all leaving the same day yeah thursday oh my god yeah. how cool going on a jet plane to london we're gonna eat so many chips you guys it's gonna be great crumpets Crumpets, probably yes. yeah i'm yeah. gonna drink some tea and some and some some beers some pilsners a pilsner 
Oh, yes. You you would enjoy a nice Pilsner. All right. Don't she's, worry. She's like, sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll try it. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> bring bring lots of Tums. Cause oh, your shit. Stomach's gonna hate, your stomach's <laughs> going to hate this trip. <laughs> Just like warn yourself for it. Yep. All right. Um, hopefully your stomach doesn't hate you. Um, next week, you guys, I'm going to be talking about Rage 2. Since we haven't gotten a chance to really play that at all. Also, I'm going to be talking about the Division 2 raid, which I'm going to be playing this weekend. Um, and we've got some other cool stuff coming up. So please make sure to hit that subscribe button if you have not already. Again, thank you guys for all of the support. We love you. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.